Hi, this is Guy Busick, and I am a co-writer of the 2022 Scream, and you are listening to the Don't Go Out There podcast. Um, hello? Who is this? This is Roger L. Jackson, Ghostface, from the Scream franchise, and you're listening to the Don't Go Out There horror movie review podcast. So you like scary movies, huh? What's your favorite scary movie? And it better be the right answer or I'll... Well, you know the rest. Thank you. You're such a lovely audience. We'd like to take you home with us. Or better yet, see you in your home. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate all the support. You guys are awesome. Uh, y'all make this doing this show very special, and it means the world to us. Before we get into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Everything about this podcast is on our website. Uh, we got all of our episodes and interviews if you want to listen there. We've got a store if you want to get any merch. We got Shan's new Etsy page on there if you want to get one of her awesome tumblers. Uh, we've got our blog if you want to check out any of our think pieces. Definitely check those out. You know, we give all of our opinions. And we also have all of our social media links on there. You know, we're on all five of them, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Go follow us, like us, subscribe us, all that good stuff on there. We love interacting with our fans. We got uh, several fan comments about the film review we're doing tonight. And the last thing I want to mention before we get into the film review is our Patreon we call Blood Donors. We have two different kinds. We have the monthly reoccurring takes a big burden off of us uh it helps us pay for our site hosting uh the platform we record our podcast on all that good stuff and we also have a one-time donation if you want if you want us to review a movie you really love or you want to come on our show and review a movie you love with us both of those options are available but let's jump into the film review tonight you can also pick a film that you hate just throwing that out there (laughs) or a movie we hate (laughs) or a movie we hate because you hate us apparently or love us, and that, and you, you want us to shit on your movie, which is a concept I still can't quite wrap my head around. But I believe it's a uh, friend of the show, Sean Irwin's destiny at this point. <laughs> and listen, on a serious note, we use every cent of that to goes back into the podcast. Absolutely. None of that goes in our in our pockets. It goes for all the stuff Nico mentioned. Every cent of it. Absolutely. Uh, it like like we've said several times takes a big burden off of us, and we really appreciate every every bit of support we get. Uh, tonight, we're reviewing a newly released movie on digital. Last week, we reviewed Ready or Not. Earlier this week, we dropped our interview with Mr. Guy Busick, co-writer of Ready or Not and Scream 2022. Uh, so today, we're reviewing Scream 2022. We've already done a reaction video You know, after the movie first came out in theaters. I'll just start us off. I'll just say after two more rewatches, I still pretty much feel the exact same way. Nothing changed. Uh, so I'm not going to talk too much because just like in our Texas Chainsaw review, I wrote a couple of Stephen A. soliloquies again. So I'll read that at the oh, end and I'll say how I feel. Hey, it's man. a lot of pros. There's a lot of pros and some Man, cons, Guy Busick's going to hate you. He's never coming back on our show. Hey, man. 
he makes way more money than me. Why does he care what I have to think? <laughs> but anywho, I like the movie. I don't love the movie, but I still think it's it looks great. I think it is well written for as a requel. It's well written. I'll put it that way. But that's just how I feel. I like some things, and there's a lot of stuff I don't like. Uh, Brian, do you want to go next? Yeah, as as Nico mentioned, you know, we kind of spoiled how we feel about this movie and in, in that instant reaction we did. And I'm I'm going to repeat a lot of the same stuff I said in that here for sure. I'm like Nico. I kind of feel pretty much the same way that I did the the first time I saw it in the theater. Um, I love this movie. You know, in our interview with co-writer Guy Busick, like like Mike just brought up, just made me love it even more. Um, so if you haven't, go listen to that. It's episode 193. It's amazing. Uh, but anyway, I love seeing my quote unquote family again. Like we talked, you know, like we said in previous, you know, scream sequel reviews, Sid, Dewey, Gail. Uh, but I also really like the new cast and I'll go into it a little bit later, but, but I've seen where like, you know, some complaining about, you know, one complaint about them was that we didn't care about them enough in our spoiler review. I did take up for the writers in saying that, you know, they couldn't garner the same amount of attention because of the legacy characters, you know, that they had to write for too. And I have some more opinions on that, that, you know, that may make some other fans mad, but I think it's, it's time for the legacy characters to kind of take a back seat to this new generation. And, and this is, this is, I think a great start for that. Um, I, I said in the instant reaction, but I want to say again, I also apologize for the nearly, was it what a year or two that they announced it would be called scream. And I just gave them all hell for not calling it five cream or scream five. So again, I want to completely apologize to everyone involved in that because now after watching the movie, it completely 100% makes sense. Um, I love how smart and brilliant it is on toxic fandom which is hilarious because Nico and Mike have literally both had rants over the past month or two, you know, on this show in regards to toxic fandom, uh, Nico for Halloween kills and, and uh, Mike for Texas chainsaw massacres last week. Um, but, and I also said it in our chainsaw review, but I love how this movie has also put the word requel into mainstream. Um, so I wanted to kind of put that out there too, but yeah, I think this movie's great while it's not perfect. I, you know, I do agree with one big problem, but you know, it is probably my second favorite in the franchise now uh, behind the original. Yeah, I believe I was the first to see the film out of our group. I gave like a little Instagram live reaction thing, and I kind of just, I left it as bare bones as I could. Um, but I still feel the same way that I did then and in our instant reaction video. But I'll, I'll be honest, I think I like it more now than I did then. Even before our interview with Guy, you know, I've watched it three times since it's been in the theater. It's, it's, it's for, like since yesterday, I have watched this movie three times. Okay. And so that lets you know that like, I really wanted to make sure I knew how I felt. And the reason for that is I love the screen franchise. I'm a huge fan of the original. Uh, if I, if we had to go back and redo that episode, I would probably give that movie a 9.75. That's how much I love the original. I only have one small problem with that whole movie. Uh, so it's a 9.75. And I, I've, it's no secret how much I love Scream 4. It sometimes in my head battles with the original. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a lover of the franchise. And like Brian mentioned, I love going back, you know, back and seeing my friends again, man. Dewey and Gail and Sid, they're all here. We're all, gang's all here, man. And, but I really do worry, have a small, a disagreement, Brian, not a big one. 
I don't love this new cast. I don't hate the new cast. I I like them enough to invest in them as characters, especially Tara and Sam. Like I think their the dynamic is the glue of the film, and I think they do a really good job. Uh, it was fun to see Skeet Ulrich back. That was kind of cool. Um, and you know, Guy talked about it, and I really didn't. It probably would have been a nitpick of mine if, if, if we're being honest. Um, that whole thing being a thing in, in the movie, had he not explained it a little bit more, he basically said we had the balls to do something that nobody wants in a screen movie. So I at least respect that. Now I may not love all the ghost over the shoulder thing, but I did have a lot of fun seeing Skeet Ulrich back. Um, I love the way this movie looks. It, we got rid of that weird glow from Scream 4. We're back to looking like a Scream film. I love it being in Woodsboro. I love Stu Mocker's house. Like All the fun things, all the subtle nods. This movie is meta as hell. It comments on toxic fandom, something me and Nico have been really on diatribes about because it's ridiculous at this point. And I think they nailed the points they had to say about that. And and and, and they did a great job. Um, I love that they kind of touched on elevated horror. Another t- topic we've talked about on this show where I think if we had to choose someone that likes it the most, it would probably be Nico. Uh, and, and I don't know if it would start it out that way, but he seems to like um, and Midsummer a little more. He seems to like Hereditary a little more. He definitely likes the Babadook more than anyone else on the show, <laughs> and and that's okay. But I like that they gave it the. It, 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 they kind of said it's okay to like both. It's okay to like the the schlocky slashers, and it's okay to like elevated horror. And I know a lot of people are mad at the term elevated. So small rant. Shut up. Stop being ridiculous. It's not pretentious. It's not snooty. It, it's just a ter- it's another term for psychological horror. It's the exact same thing. We've just coined it something different now. That's it. It's only snooty when Nico says it. If we're being honest, I mean, he, yeah, that's true. Oh, to, you like, just got like, oh, you guys just you didn't, don't get it. You get didn't it, get, get the Duke. You didn't get it. <laughs> so mad. <laughs> but anyway, no, I really did enjoy the film. Um, it's interesting. I watched it so many times because I really wanted to kind of compare it with how I felt about four because I just love Scream 4 so much. So I'll save that for the end. But all in all, this is one of my favorite franchises, and I'm glad another film was put out in my favorite horror franchise. And again, before we start, to me, and I know there's some disagreement, and that's cool, to me, there is no bad Scream film, period. I think they're all good in their own way. Two has gone from first to last. Somehow, some way, <laughs> over the years and over time. And, but I still enjoy parts of Scream 2. I really do. And so, look, excited to talk about the franchise, if you can't tell, because now I'm rambling. <laughs> I, I wasn't laughing because y'all were uh, saying anything about the Babadook. I just thought of a joke. You want to hear it? And what does the kid from the Babadook and Sam's dad <laughs> have in common? They both got killed. All right. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Okay, really quick. Not on TikTok. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as you should. Really quick, I want to give a shout-out to Jenna Ortega, who I like from the show you in the first place. I think she does a great job as Tara in this movie, and I'm excited for the, the, the – I'm drawing a blank on the name, but she's in a new H24 movie that I just saw a trailer for, I think, yesterday. can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but she, that, that looks like a nice nod to 70s horror, and she looks like she's going to be really good in that too. So shout-out to Jenna Ortega and her performance and – 
I can't believe I'm saying it. Shout out to David Arquette. In this film, he fucking nails his role. He is so good as Dewey. What he was given to do, shout out to Guy Busick. <laughs> he was so good at what he was given to do. I love the character arc of Dewey in this movie. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about when it comes to Dewey when that time comes. Absolutely. Uh, let's jump into the scene by scene because I know this is going to be uh, a long episode just because all the Scream episodes are long. <laughs> all right, the film starts with a ringing phone. We see Tara's house, and now we're in the house, and we see Tara ignoring the landline call. She's texting back and forth with Amber, and she uses her inhaler. The landline rings again, which she answers this time. A, filiar, a familiar voice asks for Christina. He's from group. Tell her Charlie called. The voice tells Tara that Christina loves her and she's creative and loves art and loves scary movies. What's your favorite scary movie? She says the Babadook. It's elevated horror. And she explains what that is. He asks if she's, been, if she's seen Stab. How well do you remember the original, he asks. Do you remember the beginning? It starts with a kill. He asks her if she'd like to play a game and calls her Tara. She hangs up in fear. She uses her phone to lock the doors and texts Amber. She closes her curtains and the phone rings again. Amber says you should answer it, and the next text says this isn't Amber. Answer the phone or Amber dies. She answers and Ghostface video calls her and says he wants to play a game or she dies. She names off horror movies she does know, but he asks questions about Stab. She Googles the Stab cast to get her next answer. She's now asked who the killers were. She says Billy Loomis, but he says it was Billy and Stu. She grabs a knife and opens her front door to try and go save Amber, but Ghostface slashes her stomach. She slams the door and rearms her security system. She backs away and the phone rings. She answers and he says, bonus question. Do you think I made it in your house before you could rearm the system? And then Ghostface attacks her from behind. She's stabbed in the gut and thrown to the floor. She crawls away but has her ankle stomped and she's stabbed through the hand. She kicks Ghostface off her and Ghostface stands up and grabs her leg and stabs her twice and slashes us into a title card as the cops arrive. We're in Modesto, California now as Sam takes some meds and Richie walks up to her and they kiss. Sam gets a call and then sees her messages. She calls Wes back and he tells her Tara was attacked. She's alive but in bad shape. She was stabbed and she's made it through surgery. She says she's on her way. She asks Wes if they know who did this. He says something. He says someone in a fucking ghost face mask. She's in shock and Richie offers to go with her. And then they hug. An announcer says all public activities are canceled. We meet the rest of the cast in the schoolyard. Amber says everything will get worse since Sam is coming. Chad and Liv joke about each other being jealous uh, boyfriend and girlfriend. Chad tells Wes his mother, Sheriff Judy, interviewed him about Tara's attack. Liv sees Vince and says he worked with her and Tara as he waves at her. He gets in his muscle car and leaves. Wes gets a text that Tara's awake and they go to the hospital, but Liv can't go with him. Richie says he's never seen Stab and is bullied like me for not seeing movies. She says Stab is based <laughs> off things that happen in Woodsboro. They make it into town. He asks why someone in that mask would want to kill your sister. Sam and Richie walk into the room with all the group and Tara. They all embrace and she introduces Richie to Tara. Sam used to babysit all of them except Amber. Amber says they should give Tara space and to leave. Tara asks Sam to stay. Tara cries and tells her how scared she was. We're at a bar now, and the group are all playing pool. Amber is not a fan of Sam and tells her her history of how she left at 18 ghosting them. They joke about motives now, and Mindy says they're all mistakes. 
Vince walks up and offers Liv a real drink. Chad gets in his face, and Vince pulls out a knife, and he's kicked out. Now we see Vince. He's pissing on the building, and we see someone run past, and Vince's headlights come on, and his engine revs. Vince thinks it's Chad, and he sees no one in the car. He turns the car off, and Ghostface appears behind him and stabs him in his neck. He crawls away, and Ghostface wipes his knife. All right, Brian, that's the opening I got. What you got for me? All right, so bear with me. I got I'm gonna run my mouth just a little bit here. I got a little bit to say. Um, but first of all, I love this cold open. A guy brought up in his interview, don't go out there.com, uh, how they wanted to pay homage to the original but flip it and for the first time have the cold open victim survive. Um, again, like Mike, I think Jenna Ortega as Tara is great all the way through this. Um, she's also probably the lone bright spot for me in Babysitter 2, by the way, but uh, especially here, I, I think she gives an amazing performance. Um, and, and like Mike brought up, she was in You as well. Um, if I'm not mistaken, she's the only actual teenager, I think, that's playing a teenager in this movie, if I read correctly. Um, but her emotions, the dialogue, I think was on point and felt realistic. Uh, again, Roger L. Jackson does some amazing voice work here. You know, same as in the other films, like he was really on the other end of that phone. I think we can all agree, though, that Jackson was in his fucking bag in this movie. His performance was just different, more violent, um, which goes right, right along with how fucking violent Ghostface is in the opening as well. Like right off the bat, you know, with it even showing the stabs going right through her fucking hand, breaking her leg on screen. I love the violence. And I think the franchise needed it to progressively do that and kind of conform to the times, um, you know, just just, you know, given the nature of these movies. I am a fan of the elevated horror commentary as well, Mike. Like it's hilarious how much of the stuff hits different since, you know, we have a review podcast and say much of the same shit consistently on this show. Um, especially how ironic it is that they brought up the Duke. Like I did the Leonardo DiCaprio meme in the theater, uh, pointing at the screen because I immediately wanted to hear Nico's thoughts on that since he gets so much shit on here for liking the Duke. Um, but I love the Easter egg putting Sydney's home address on Elm Street for the first time, really on screen. Um, you know, I know there are just so many fucking Easter eggs all throughout. I'll mention some of my favorite ones from this group. Uh, but if we did all of them in this review, it'd be like three hours long. But, you know, since since that's the first time that they ever say her address was on Elm Street, I, I really loved that touch and I wanted to bring it up. Um, also loved that it was Drew Barrymore's voice on that intercom as the kids come together at school, something I didn't pick up the first time I watched it, uh, which in itself directly mirrors the group meeting from the first one with, with even Wes and Amber eating grapes, just like Stu and Billy did in 96. Another touch I didn't get in the first time I watched it. Um, let me just say this about Sam and I'll shut up because I've seen so much of that toxic fandom. This movie is touching on with a lot of it being directed towards Sam and Melissa Barrera. I love her. I love that. She's not your normal cookie cutter lead. She isn't that innocent girl next door, like Sydney or, or Julie James from, I know what you did last summer. That's been done like over and over again. She's damaged. And yeah, I mean, like Sydney, she went through something traumatic growing up, but she's handled it differently. And honestly, I think it's more realistic and more fit for today's generation. And as a member of the last generation myself, I think it's brilliantly written by Guy and James. And I think, you know, with her not being the same, well, or with her not being some like long lost family member of Sydney and her being tied to Billy, I think Sam is the perfect one to lead this franchise forward and kind of take over that mantle from Sydney. Um, you know, there's a ton left to explore with her struggling. And I'll touch on the, the visions, you know, in the next set of scenes, but um, 
I can't touch on all the characters here, so I may throw out, but I did want to touch on Amber. And I know I said this in our reaction, but I'll say it again. She still has a lot of Shay Mitchell's peach vibes on the show. You to bring that up again. Um, and just like that, I think they kind of stopped just short of saying, but to me, they kind of implied that she had a crush on Tara as well. Um, I don't know. One of those, if you can't have nobody or if you, if I can't have you, nobody can have you things. Um, I think it would have been maybe interesting to explore too, but uh, also fun fact, co-writer James Vanderbilt's wife is named Amber Freeman, which is where Amber's name comes from. So anyway, I'll shut up now. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So, uh, okay. I love this open. This opened to me, so the first time I saw it in the theater, of course, just about every screen movie starts with the phone ringing. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, I, I'm right where I am. I got that that warm, fuzzy feeling that I'm going to – I get to see a, a, another screen movie on the big screen. And so I kind of wondered – you know, we saw the trailer. I kind of wondered how they would address having a house phone in 2022, uh, which is something I kind of talked about when we – reviewed the trailer on YouTube. I kind of said, I, you know, this is a little bit of a dated concept, but I think they made it work with integrating the cell phone into it. Um, because I, I mean, I guess her family just still pays for a landline. I don't know. Maybe California is different. But, uh, I mean, but, uh, some people do, but I think they're right on the cusp. Like, I don't think in the next one they can do a landline like at all. I, I think yeah, they're, right, they're right, right there. Well, they integrated the cell phone. So I, and again, Ghostface video calls her on a cell phone. So like they're there, they're touching on the new technology. And I, I think at some point it may be time to kind of move all the way into that because I think the house phone thing still for me. Now, look, it's a small nitpick. I still think it works because the reason it works, Roger L. Jackson. I love the his performance in this scene, mostly because for five, six minutes, he's not playing Ghostface. He, he, he's Roger, L. he's the mom's boyfriend at the group. You know, he has like kind of a normal voice, a normal tone. He doesn't use that. Like, what's your favorite scare? Like he, he just kind of talks very normally. Like you could, t he, you know, he kind of slips in and out of it. And so he, and then he just kind of slides into being ghost face. When he asks her, w would you like to play a game? Tara. Like, I think when he finally makes that full switch, it's so good. It hits just right. Um, and again, I love the commentary on the elevated horror that, uh, you, you know, the terror goes into again, this movie makes a good point of being okay with liking both. She mentions her favorite movie is the Babadook. I also thought of Nico cause I was like, you know, I, I think we're actually in the minority, me, Brian and, and Dustin, where we're not the biggest fans of it, but it seems to be a pretty popular film. So I'll give them their flowers there. I don't think. I don't think we're in the majority there. I would like to state for the record. You did um, like it. Your Honor, I did rate it a 7.25, I believe. Fair enough. In my defense, Your Honor. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think I gave it like a four and a half or something. But anyway, um, so love this opening scene. I love the door locking, door unlocking, door locking, door unlock. I think that's really cool the way they did that. All systems armed, all systems unarmed. Like really, really good. Really tense. Loved it. Um, and I love that. You know, knowing what we know at the end and then going back and watching it with the way they kind of manipulate the video phone and, you know, how Amber's texting and stuff like I think that's really, really cool how they all kind of it, it all made sense. You know, even if you don't see it the first time, if you go back and watch it, it all tends to make more sense. They do a good job kind of keeping the line throughout. 
Um, I love the interaction here with with Tara and Ghostface. I think Jenna Ortega kills it. Uh, again, when the first time I see it, I think she's dead. You know, because every that's just the way Scream goes, and they decided to flip it here, and I like that. Um, because I got to see more of this terror character. If it had been just anybody, you know, and I know that Casey Becker was a big deal because she was Drew Barrymore, but you start going to, um, you know, Scream 2, and I mean, yeah, that's Jada Pinkett, but like her character didn't feel like it was going to be super important in the film. Um, she wasn't a student at the high school or whatever. We just, somebody that we're seeing on screen for the, so like, all the other ones have that kill, especially Scream 4, where they just kill people over and over again because it's so meta. They keep having cold opens in different movies. But in this one, it felt like, oh, crap, this could be like a Casey Becker-weighted situation where this feels like it's going to be a very important character integral to the plot, and she ends up surviving. So I thought that was cool. Shout out to whatever song that is that sampled uh, Mitch Jackson by Outkast. I'm not familiar with it but i thought it was awesome it's a really cool remix and then so i'm gonna have to go find that on spotify somewhere but anyway um okay this is a minor nitpick and it's very minor and i think it's gonna be maybe one of nico's major nitpicks but when you get mr quaid over here on screen almost immediately i'm like "Mm," like he says i'll go with you the minute he said i'll go with you my red flag goes up for whatever reason. I don't, he didn't really, he didn't have to do much else. I'm not saying I knew that far into the film, but I had a sneaking suspicion. They were going to kind of start to tie that character. In. And look, I like the character. Okay. It, it, it's not that I don't like Richie. I just think they didn't do a super great job hiding what I thought would be his intentions in the end. So that's, I mean, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it yet, that's your fault. <laughs> like maybe stop right here, go back and watch the film. Um, but anyway, I like the, uh, I like the on-screen chemistry with Sam and Richie. I think it's good. Right. Um, I like this scene that you mentioned, Ryan, where they're all sitting outside at the school. It's very reminiscent of the first one. Very good. Um, I'm not going to touch on all the characters here. Shout out to Dylan Minette that played Wes Hicks. First of all, cool, subtle nod to Wes Craven giving him the name Wes. I think that was really cool. Uh, and, you know, Dylan Manette of 13 Reasons Why, he's in a couple of other things as well. But I think he's really good here as Wes. I think he's kind of a, you know, he kind of grounds this group when everyone else is kind of a, has a theme. Like you got your horror movie nerd and you've got your jock and you've got your kind of weird girl. And like, you've got all these typecasts and he's just kind of a grounded character. Um, so I, I like this group of young people, but I don't, love them like I do from the first film, which I think is hard to recapture. So it's not necessarily a knock at all. I love how they're all kind of suspecting each other. Like, I know we all got to get that, but they really kind of hone in on the fact that everyone's a suspect. Everyone's a suspect um, amongst this group of friends. And I just think that, um, you know, the character of Wes, to me, he was a, it was kind of my thinking that it was going to be Wes and Richie. Like I'm going into this because he's almost too nice. He almost was too caring of Tara. Like it was a red flag for me, but I ended up being wrong on that. Um, but like you said with Amber, Brian, they had like the crush, not crush on Tara. I kind of wish they had touched into that just a smidge more as well. Um, I want to touch on Vince's death. 
because and I, I I can't believe you didn't bring this up, Brian. Well, actually, I was going to ask you how you thought about it. And what was it, Nico? Like, what did friend of the show Joe Swinford say he looked like? A country discount singer, Morgan um, Wallen. Discount yeah, Morgan Wallen. They look like Discount Morgan Wallen. <laughs> but yeah, what what do you think? What do you think about that, Mike? Well, first of all, shout out to Red Right Hand because <laughs> the fact that the song play. First of all, I texted you at that moment in the theater, yes, Brian. Yes, you did. And I said, there's a scene that you're going to love. Now, this, now, the kill itself is whatever. But yeah. the fact that that's, you know, we got the song that we've been wanting to hear. I'm glad they did it there. Because if they were going to do it anywhere, I guess that makes uh, sense to me. But, again, this is a good set of scenes. I, I like the open. And I like, you know, and if you're looking for more clues to where my red flag went up with Richie, him saying he's never seen any of the stabs. I appreciate them doing that groundwork to kind of try to divert your suspicion over here, but it didn't work on me. Sorry, guy. <laughs> well, hey, and talking about Red Right Hand, like I loved the fact that it was in the movie. I really do. But when I watched it this time, I almost thought, man, that's kind of out of place. Like I just, I almost would have liked to have had that song playing as they came in to the picnic tables. Like, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it should be in a part of the movie where somebody's getting killed. I don't know. I love, love, love that it was in there and I'm glad it was, but that's just a little minor nitpick for me. (laughs) All right. Sam is awakened by the sound of the clean blade. Richie asks if she's okay. And he's watching stab on Netflix. He says he wants to be prepared and Sam leaves to get something to eat in the break room. She takes some pills and she sees Billy Loomis in the mirror. Antipsychotics aren't working, huh? And she needs to stop running from who she is. And when's she going to tell her why all this is happening? Her phone rings and is ghost-faced. Hello, Samantha. Someone who knows your family secret. He says he had to get her to come back somehow. She says, come and get me. Then Ghostface appears and they fight in this break room. She yells for help, but she pushes Ghostface over with a table. And she runs into the hallway and into an officer. And he scopes it out, but Ghostface is gone. Sheriff Judy interrogates them. Richie says he was watching Netflix. He and Amber accuse each other. Judy brings Sam out to question her. Judy tells Sam her presence isn't helping. She asks her to leave in the morning. Sam asks for Amber and Richie to leave so they can talk. She asks, do you remember when Dad left? She brings up the boxes in the attic, and she found diaries from high school. She tells Tara that Mom got pregnant by another boy, not their actual dad. She describes her and her mom's interactions, and her dad found out about her not being her daughter. He left that night because of her. She cries and apologizes to Tara for leaving and becoming distant, and she started taking drugs. She says she destroyed their family that night. Billy Loomis is her father, and she thinks this is happening because of that. Tara tells Sam to get out. Get the fuck out, she yells at Sam. Sam walks out, and Richie is right behind her. She asks, were you listening at the door? It doesn't freak you out my father was a serial killer? He says, yeah, but I'm not leaving you, Sam. She says, this is the part in a horror movie where you should be smart and to leave. I love you, he says. I'm staying. She calls him a dumbass. What's our next move? She says we talked to an expert. We're in Dewey's trailer now as he watches the news and he hears about the new attacks. He changes it to good morning with Gail Weathers. Knock at the door and he yells, go away. Sam says she just has questions. She says she's Billy Loomis' daughter. She tells him she was attacked at the hospital and her sister was attacked. She asks for five minutes and he asks how Richie, how long she's known her and how long. There are certain rules to surviving a stab movie. Rule number one, you never trust a love interest. Dewey calls Richie out. Rule two, the killer's motive is always linked 
to something in the past. Richie asks, what about the random Vince guy? He says, you got to figure that out. Rule three, the most important, the first victim has a friend group that the killer is a part of. He tells Sam to look at the friend group. She asks for his help. He says he has all these injuries. He doesn't want to do this anymore. She says, if she's in danger, then you're in danger. Come on, let's do this together. Your time's up, and he kicks them out. Richie asks, what's next? The friends, she says. Dewey gets his phone, and now we see the legend herself, Sydney, running with her child as Dewey calls her. She asks how he, how he is, and they converse as friends. He tells her it's happening again. Three attacks, one dead. This one feels different. Do you have a gun, he asks. I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Good, he says. He says, Gail is his next call. He says, don't come here. And she says, she has no intentions on ever going back. She says, I'm glad they have you to protect them. They hang up and Dewey just texts Gail, don't come here and hope you're doing well with a smiley face. He puts the phone down and he gets his gun out of like this little jewelry box. All right, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so just to start off with this Skeet Ulrich Visions, I I personally loved the Skeet Ulrich Visions. I know that's another hot division topic on the old interwebs. And honestly, this surprises me that I even have to say this and how many people honestly don't get this. But listen, interwebs, it's not the literal ghost of Billy popping up and haunting people or fucking zombie Billy. It's just freaking showing you the visually on screen what Sam is battling with internally. And hell, this isn't even the first time the franchise has done that. I mean, don't forget Sydney's visions of Marine's ghost in part three. Listen to Lynn McCree's interview on don'tgoother.com. But I love it. And I think the de-aging on Skeet looks fantastic. Uh, I mean, just because you know it's de-aging doesn't mean it's bad de-aging. Just throwing that out there as well there, interwebs. Um, But like I said before, I I do like the tie-in with Billy and Sam and Tara. And I was even fine with Sam telling Tara the way she did. But Tara's reaction and getting mad, to me, didn't make sense. Like, I don't think Tara would get pissed at Sam. I think she would understand more than she did, given the circumstances. But that's just a little nitpick I had an issue with uh, from the very first viewing. Um, I do love how it adds the lore to Billy. Um, I said this in the first instant reaction, but you know, it makes you view that scene in part one where it shows Billy flirting with those two girls in the video store with even more depth now. Um, and it really hits me during the hospital attack scene on Sam, but this is really the first scream film where neither of the killers have any personal motive against Sidney Prescott. Like this is about Sam. And I love that. Like we needed something new uh, that wasn't the same recycled storyline that we've kind of seen over and over. I think I do think this suffers from that same horror trope that we've complained about on here before. Still nobody in the fucking hospital. Come on. I mean, they try to explain that away some by putting her on a private floor later, but that doesn't help here. They should have done that before this attack. It would have made a little bit more sense anyway. Um, So Dewey. I know Mike disagrees. I loved him in four, but this movie finally gives Dewey, like you said, what he did, you know, what he deserves. Um, Not him dying. I mean, like, I just love his character development so much in this. He's great. Uh, Yeah, he's down on his luck, but I love how it reveals that he's the one who left and felt like he wasn't good enough and was a coward. And I love finally the on-screen Tatum reference in in this trailer, uh, which Guy Busick touched on in our interview as well. The Easter egg with Gail on the TV talking about her bangs. You know, now I have a nitpick with how Sam just comes up with the fact 
um, you know, to go and find him and talk to a quote unquote, an expert. That seems a little convenient to me. I think that there should have been some tie in with why Sam would have said that. Like maybe he looked after her some, you know, as his time as sheriff and she trusted him. Like they had some bond from back then that we never saw on screen. But I do love the line. Give me one good reason. I'm Billy Loomis's daughter. That's a terrible reason. I don't know. I just, I love, I loved that. Um, I just kind of feel like the whole conversation was a little forced without some sort of previous relationship is all. Um, lastly, I remember the three, the theater breaking out and going crazy when Sydney's shown here for the first time. Um, I love her line about I'm Sydney fucking Prescott. Of course I have a gun. I think most everyone knows now that that line was improvised by Nev Campbell. Uh, may have been one of the quote-unquote notes that Guy Busick said he received from Nev about stuff Sydney would say in our interview. Uh, don't go out there.com, by the way. Uh, but again, I love how she's not the main focal point in this with, with some complicated plot to get her back. It made sense. Also love the callback to Mark Kincaid from 3 being her husband now, which apparently even Nev Campbell said she didn't realize until after shooting. Fun fact, Nev played one of Patrick Dempsey's sisters on Grey's Anatomy as well. Uh, anyway, I feel like I barely touched on this set of scenes, but I've been talking for like an hour. So go ahead, Mike. Yeah, there's a lot here, especially when we finally get the the intro of, of the legacy characters. But uh, starting in the hospital, I like this story development that we're about to get with Sam and Tara. I think now whether Sam told Tara to make herself feel better or because she thought Tara actually needed to know is is a question that I have. But I think that you know, the tie-in to being Billy Loomis's daughter and you get Billy over her shoulder. Again, I kind of talked about it in my open where to have the balls to do it in this setting, because again, this isn't, that's not really screen. Like that stuff has not happened yet on a, you know, in a screen movie on, on the big screen. And I think to kind of have this ghost over the shoulder thing, whether I like it or not, I appreciate them having the balls to do it and keep it in their film. Plus it's fun to see Billy Loomis back. I, you know, it's just nostalgic for that reason. And I don't think they had to de-age Skeet Ulrich as much as everyone said they did. He's, he's still kind of a handsome son of a bitch. If you ask me, I don't think he looks all that much older. Shave your face, have a little wig. I think you're pretty good there. Um, anyway, I love this scene in the hospital with Sam and Tara. The, the emotion that both actresses show, I think is really, really good. Um, I think Sam does a good job. Melissa Barrera, she does a great job kind of doing that fighting back tears thing as she's talking. And I can feel it, you know, and you can feel the anger from Jenna Ortega when she tells her to get the fuck out. Like it, it's a very raw emotional scene. And look, you, if you don't like these characters, you're not going to buy this scene, but I'm in to them. So I'm buying this relationship. You can tell it's fractured. Um, but you can tell there's still love there. And that's why her telling Tara this hurts so bad. Um, and I, I like the, the, not the chase, not chase that we get in the hospital, which by the way, I think that's a lot of people's complaints is there is no like big chase scene for Ghostface, especially with Sydney when all the rest of them have had it. So, you know, but anyway, um, now I do agree. Why is there no one else in this hospital? <laughs> it's just like the end of Scream 4. Like, why is no one else in this hospital to see this thing? Uh, again, they tried to lay some groundwork, but I don't know, man. I feel like that would have been a dead giveaway. Um, I like that. I like what Ghostface says here. You know, he's 
So this, you know, this way we know that Ghostface knows family, the same family secret that we know. And so now it ha- it has to be. Yeah, go ahead. I just have one question: How does she not hear him on the phone in the break room, Sam? How does she not hear the, the phone conversation in the break room? He's right behind the door. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Just that <laughs> no, I, I, armor. I don't have a super great answer for that, but I, I still like the scene. I like it's, the way it's, it's a good shot. Scene. The cinema t- yeah, the the uh, cinematography here is really really good. It kind of uses some shadows, you know, a little bit of a darker tint to it. I think it's really good. Um, I like again, even though I'm on to Richie, I like that he's kind of playing this supporting boyfriend thing. He's like, all right, what do we got to do? Let's go do it. And like you said, Brian, I had a feeling this is when they would introduce a legacy character, but there is no like direct tie. I guess just knowing being. From Woodsboro, you know these characters, or at least Dewey still lives here. So you probably ask somebody where the hell does Dewey live, and then you go find him, would be my guess. Um, I love this portrayal of Dewey, the way he's written, the way he's acted by David Arquette. I love that he's a retired sheriff. We've seen the whole life cycle of this character now, from rookie deputy on the job to to, you know, kind of an incompetent cop in Scream 2. He's a security guard cop in Scream 3. <laughs> and he was the sheriff in 4, and now he's retired. So he's run the gambit of uh, of police officer positions. And I think he's great as this kind of broken down, beaten up older man. He's not old, but he's older. And, you, you, you know, you've mentioned Hopper from Stranger Things before, and that's a pretty apt comparison in my opinion but i'll say it was nice from my vantage point it was nice to see the effects of the first four films have some impact on our legacy characters gail's doing her thing she's thriving you know living her best life sid always kind of perseveres and overcomes no one's really gotten down by it and it seems like dewey was the first real look into what that can do to wear on a person not just that but obviously the the divorce from gail and I was interested to see how they were going to, you know, kind of plug in the real life divorce between Courtney Cox and David Arquette. And I think they did a really good job of having them on screen still love each other, but not be together. Maybe that would have been a little awkward for them or something. Like I know they're still good friends and they co-parent really well, but I thought I was I was at least interested to see how they were going to pull that off. As far as Dewey here, I think it's great. The dialogue they give him is great. I had the same thing you did, Brian, about the joke about. Give me one good reason why I, I should, should talk to you. Billy Loomis's daughter. That's a horrible reason. Not to talk. I was like, that is great. That's really, really good. And so that still kind of shows the quirk that Dewey has. He's not, you know, he's not just this beaten down older guy. He's still got a little bit of that uh, weird vibe to him. And I love that he's kind of harnessing his his Randy here. You know, there's rules to surviving a stab movie, like all that stuff. So really good stuff. I'm a big fan of how they pull that off. And then the first time you see Sidney Prescott on screen, love it. I'll be completely honest. I was the only one in my theater when I saw this film. And yes, I went, woo, as soon as she came on screen because I was the only one in there and no one hurt me anyway. So, plus, hey, I'm just saying, Nev Campbell, call me sometime. Still, to this day, always and forever. Okay. And love you, Kat. Um, lo- I love the... 
I'm Sydney fucking Prescott. Of course, I have a gun. Great line. I, I love the introduction of these legacy characters. And it was good to see Gail, honestly, in this successful TV role, which I wasn't sure what, what they were going to do with Gail. Um, so I like how this set of scenes kind of brings back the family that we all know and love, but still keeps the focus on the young cast. Like Mike, like you mentioned about, or both of you mentioned about uh, the the funny line that Dewey has about that's a terrible uh, reason. He also has a, another hilarious line in his next set of scenes that I think is is great delivered by him. Uh, <laughs> Cut me deep, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just go yeah. ahead and say I can't do this next scene a lot of description because it's just a lot of back and forth amongst characters. So you're gonna have to watch this movie to get uh to get the dialogue part. Uh, but back to Sam. Her and Richie are like walking into the Meeks house and Dewey joins them to help with their investigation. We're in Mindy and Chad's house and we see Martha Meeks. She hugs Dewey and says he looks and kind of just gives him a blank face. She asks how's uh, the marriage and then she just leaves. Sam tells the group that Billy Loomis is her dad. We now get a lot of back and forth between the group and then Wes accuses Dewey. And then he says, maybe you're the killer because that cut deep. <laughs> Love that line. It was great. Amber says Vince is related to Stu. Sam says fantastic. First, yeah. So good. <laughs> Sam says the first three victims are related to the original killers. Mindy yells out, This is a requel. They talk on elevated horror and that stab is a meta slasher. Our killer is writing his own version of Stab Eight as a requel. Mindy keeps talking on how to reboot a franchise naming off other movies. Mindy tells Sam that she's the star. Liv asks who's next. Dewey says he regrets coming here now. Mindy now says that it's pretty clear Sam's the killer. It makes perfect requel sense, and she storms out. Richie chases after her, but Sam has driven off. She sees Billy again in the back seat, and he asks if she's going to run away like she always does. He tells her to figure out who this is and cut some throats. She slams her on her brakes, though, as she almost runs into traffic. We see Sheriff Judy on the phone making a food pickup order, and she hears someone walk inside. She yells out for Wes, but no one answers, so she grabs a knife. She sees the door open and looks outside. She pulls the door shut and is jump-scared by Wes. She asks if he's being safe. He asks what's for dinner, and she kisses him goodbye as she goes to pick the sushi up. Wes takes a shower now, and Judy's phone rings. It's Ghostface. He asks her what's her favorite scary movie. He says he's making a confession to her. Ghostface, Ghostface says he's going to kill Wes. She puts her lights on and turns around. She tries to call Wes, but he doesn't answer. She radios for other cops to get to her house now. Ghostface asks if she's seen Psycho. She races home and asks to please not hurt her baby boy. She begs and is told she won't make it in time. She makes it home and runs to her porch, but Ghostface appears from behind like these potted plants and stabs her. Ghostface stabs her repeatedly in the core, killing her in broad daylight. Wes gets out of the shower and sees his missed call. He exits the bathroom and walks the house. He gets some plates and sets them up for dinner. We hear a door open and he calls for his mom. He sees the door open and walks towards it. He closes the door and locks it. He turns around and Ghostface attacks. Fuck you, he yells as Ghostface stabs him through his neck. His dying body slides down the door. Sam walks up and we see the whole house is a crime scene. Sam says she she knows her son and the officer apologizes. She backs away and now we see Gail Weathers. She walks up to Sam and asks if she's okay. They both say that Judy didn't like them. Gail freezes up when she sees Dewey. She smacks him because he alerted her through a text. He asks if she's still writing. They start to fight now. She asks why isn't he in uniform. He was asked to retire. She says she had a great opportunity. He says he couldn't hack it. 
He left in the middle of the night. She tells him he's not a coward. He says Judy will make a great chapter in your next book. We now see Richie watching Dead Meat James and Chelsea criticizing Stab and Ghostface's new weapon. He answers a call from Sam. She tells him Wes and the sheriff are dead. Sam runs to the officer and asks who's protecting my sister. She runs to her car and Dewey gets in with her. He yells for her to drive. All right, go ahead, Brian. It's the next set of scenes I got. So I like Mindy's monologue here about the requels. And I will say that, yeah, it is kind of in the same vein as the original, but at least the original crew did seem at least a tad more like friends in this group. Again, probably because we don't have as much character development as we did in the first movie. But even though that's the, it did seem a little like in the same vein that they definitely seem less like friends here. There's just, way too much accusing and finger pointing for a group of actual friends about, about, you know, another one of them literally being a murderer. So I guess I do disagree some with Mike about that. I think there was just too much of the finger pointing, I think. Um, and I haven't, you know, talked about them yet, but I thought it was really smart writing to replace the, the Randy of the group with Mindy. I didn't really realize how much I missed a, a Randy type in, in part four. I know a few of them split up that role in the movie and we talked about that, but I'm glad we get Mindy. You know, she became one of my favorite characters. There's just one part I felt like was too on the nose later. And you probably know which one I'm talking about, but where I rolled my eyes a little bit, but, but I, <clears throat> I do love the toxic fandom commentary, like I said, and, and I even saw a lot of people where where they didn't care for that part of this until like they started seeing this exact thing about this movie after it was released. So I thought that was so fucking brilliant. Um, also, I don't know if you got it because y'all aren't really Star Wars fans, but the eighth stab by the, the Knives Out director is actually talking about Ryan Johnson and basically the way fans, including myself, shit on the Star Wars movie that Ryan did. Uh, apparently they even reached out to Johnson for a cameo, but he couldn't do it. And uh, did anyone else feel seen when when Mindy was talking about a movie getting them into horror and God help anyone who fucks with that special memory and disrespects it? Just me. I mean, okay, like j- just like Mike and you know said, Randy was us whenever we reviewed Scream One and, and Two. Mindy to me is the new us. Uh, you know, and going from from Wendy to or from Mindy to Wendy. This whole scene with Judy, sorry, she will always be Wendy Peppercorn to me. I don't care. How I was going to say, that was nice, buddy. That was a nice <laughs> peppercorn right there, buddy. Good uh, stuff. But, you know, but the whole thing with, with Judy and Wes is one of the best th- best scenes in this movie, I think. And and I know it's been 11 years since she was in Scream 4, and, and Marley Shelton even looks a little different. Hell, we all do. But she just fell right back into that role, I think, you know, didn't she? I mean, I I credit a lot of of that having to do with the writing, too. They really found her voice again. And it seems like the exact same character. You know, we all know after a decade, when you bring someone back, a lot of times, like, they don't seem like the same character sometimes. I mean, and that's good sometimes. That's bad sometimes. But in this, they did a great job, I think, with Judy. And Shelton did a great job as well. Um, I love the tension here. You're not sure, you know, which one's going to bite it. And then bam, motherfucker, they both did. And, you know, there's a lot of similarities, I think, with Cotton Weary's opening death and part three as well. Like if shit in, in broad daylight, you know, like Nico said, talking about, you know, gutting her baby boy and then you're, you're led to believe he's about to get killed. And then bam, she does with some vicious stabs. I mean, just savage as fuck. And spoiler alert, like Wes, this one is probably my favorite kill. That net cut was fantastic. Um, you know, I'm just, the only nitpick I had is just, I'm not, not a big fan of the so many 
fake outs that we got with West. That's my only critique. Um, and man, the first time you get that convo between Dewey and Gale, I thought, wow, is this the time to literally rehash all of this? But then upon subsequent viewings, you realize that this is the last time that they're going to talk. And not going to lie, I maybe maybe got the slightest itsy bitsy bit of a ear, you know, eye allergy, just a small one. And, and, you know, it suddenly didn't matter that a lot of the dialogue seemed forced in there to me. I was like, say all the things, you fucking beautiful sons of bitches. I just, you know, I just hate that their last words were about another chapter in the book. But then again, I mean, that that's them, isn't it? Like that's that's their relationship. Um, you know, and I'll let Mike touch on the stab eight and the dead meat stuff here and, and I'll chime in. So but but go ahead. OK, yeah. So I, I like that Dewey just kind of like throws up his hands and says, ah, fuck it. I guess I'll I'll help you guys. Uh, I have nothing better to do. What the hell? If I die, I die. And again, I like the character that he plays here. You know, he recognizes Randy's sister, which I think was a nice little callback there to uh, to her character. Um, and again, I like this group of friends, but I don't love this group of friends. But this is, to me, the best scene with all of them in it, if that makes sense. Uh, I think they all have a little something to say. They all add something. But like you mentioned, the strongest character right here to me is Mindy. She is us. She, and, and I, well, you know, we get a Randy character in Scream 4. Really, we get two in Scream 4, um, you know, but everyone kind of hones in on Kirby as being that horror movie nerd, just a little bit of a cooler edge. But Mindy right here is, she knows everything. She's not just a horror movie nerd. She's a movie nerd. Uh, and, you know, she coins the term requel. And I really love that. The first time I heard it, I said, oh, what a brilliant thing to call this kind of, reboot sequel like that's so like it's not even yeah it's just the two words meshed together but it's not something i ever thought of and it may have been out there before this but this is the first time i've heard it called that um and i stream, ever, there you go stream making things ma- uh mainstream hey what do you know things in the zeitgeist what, what do you know exactly what do you know uh but i like that they kind of touch on all this i've always said for a long time i love that the stab movies exist within the scream universe as the scream of that unit like it's so cool to me for whatever reason i just think it's it's really awesome how that works because we're watching a movie but in that movie they're watching a movie about what's taking place in the movie we're watching like it's a really weird metaverse not that metaverse this metaverse (laughs) i i really think it's cool how that works out um i do like the fact that right here they're all not accusing each other but like all the accusations kind of have some merit. Like they at least tried to do a good job to divert my expectations of who I thought it was. Um, Because everyone made a little bit of sense, including Sam, you know, there's a point here where I'm like, that, that would kind of be weird, but is that the direction they're going to go? Like, okay, I could get down with some kind of, you know, shocking thing like that. By the way, Nico mentioned it. The line where said, "Are you the murderer?" Because that cut deep. That was so good. I don't know if if Guy and Vanderbilt wrote that or that was Arquette by himself. But golly, that was a great line. I th- I thought it was excellent. Um, I this and Dead Meat talked about it also. Who I'm going to get to him in a second. But he said this movie retroactively made him like the Judy character more from Scream 4. I agree with that. That is 100% true. It adds depth to that character. She's one of, I believe, you know, her and, and 
and you know the Meek sister are the only two characters to ever return from a sequel to Scream. I think that's a pretty cool, you know, distinguished thing to have on your resume. Um, and again, she's right here. You get to see a little bit of a different side than you do in Scream Four. She's a mom. She's just going to get sushi. You know, she's kind of an overprotective mom because she's lived through these Woodsboro things and all the overprotectiveness that she has doesn't save them, doesn't save her son and it doesn't save her. And I love this setup. I think her, you know, Ghostface calling her, she's going down the road, getting her away from the house, waiting and then kind of trying to lure her back so they could so he could kill both of them. I think that is a really smart Heads up move. I, you know, logically, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe not, but I think it's, you know, thinking ahead, planning it out. I really, really like that. I, I, I think it's smart. And it's a touching thing here, man, because you know, you know, like you mentioned, Brian, the line, you know, got your baby boy. Like that is tough because you see, you know, the, she turns around real quick in the middle of the street, tries to make it home. I love the movie. I love a movie that has the balls to kill in broad daylight. And you get that here with Judy, and I think it's a good kill. And I think it's well acted as well by Wendy Peppercorn. <laughs> uh, by the way, yeah, call me sometime. What the hell? Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Anyway. Um, but I love the death, the death of Wes um, because I do think he was probably the most weighted death as far as the new cast of characters. Like, the one we care about, not not including Sam. Like in that friends group, I feel like he's the one that kind of meant the most, the more standout character. And the fact that they killed him all pretty early in the film. It's not like this is, you know, an hour and a half into the movie. Like this is pretty early on here. And, I, you know, like you mentioned, Brian, the stab to the neck I thought was a really cool kill. It looked good. Um, and I, I love the nod, the not so subtle nod to Psycho. Even having the shower head come on, like I thought that was pretty cool as well. Um, but I love this interaction with Dewey and Gale. Like, I, I don't disagree with you that maybe a better time and place, but I never thought that while watching it. I just thought these two A plus actors are killing these roles. They played these roles for so long. They can tap into one having played these characters for so long, but also real life emotion. These two were married. They got divorced. Seems like a pretty amicable one, but they can tap into some real life emotion within these two characters. And I think just a great scene of dialogue. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. I think it's really good. And it kind of, you know, throughout the first four, we like Gail, but Gail's kind of bitchy, you know, for lack of a better term, she kind of has a little bit of an attitude. Uh, but here you get to kind of see a humanized side of Gail where she like, they agree, you know, they agreed it's going to be my turn and Dewey goes and he's the one that leaves. Like you mentioned, Brian, what a really good character development. Cause that's not something that I would suspect of Dewey. Cause Dewey, like Gail said, is not a coward in any of these movies. He's not a very good cop sometimes, but he's definitely not a coward in any of these films. Hell, he dies like six times within this franchise and somehow, you know, it doesn't come back, but, uh, Oh, we'll get to that. But I like this. I really like the set of scene. I think the two deaths make it really weighty and I'm a big fan and I'm a fan of all the meta and the, you know, in the couch scene, just, you know, elevated horror and requels. And, and I love the line it says, it's just a movie. And someone says, no, it's not, not to, the, you know, not to these people. 
And that's touching on the toxic fandom because we're all fans of one, you know, the horror movies we cover. You know, most of the time we're fans of the genre. We're fans of a lot of the movies we cover. But I don't think any of us care enough to get on a Reddit message thread or 4chan or whatever and argue with people all day about the direction. We may argue amongst ourselves about stuff, but never just with complete strangers that, you know, why, what, you know, like the Halloween kills mob scene, you know, that everyone was so mad about that we didn't like either, but there were people that were like buying the copy of the, of the Blu-ray and throwing it away because they hated the scene. Like that's the kind of toxic fandom I'm talking about here. And so I think they do a good job touching on it. Sorry for, for ranting, but this, I mean, it's a new movie. It's fresh in my mind. Hey, also, uh, I thought you, I didn't know if you were going to touch on it or not, but Matthew Lillard's the chrome based ghost face in this and the Easter egg with Kirby and, you know, by God, by God, we're going to be the ones on Scream 6. I just want everybody to know that. Well, speaking well, that into existence. Yeah. Hey, sorry I didn't touch on that. Shout out to Dead Me and Chelsea. Had to be really cool for them to to be in a in a movie within their favorite franchise. As Dead Me talks about, Scream's the movie that got him into horror. So to be in a feature-length film of the franchise that, that's your favorite has to be a really cool moment. Uh, the same way I know it'll be a really cool moment for Nico when he gets to be in the Scream film. All right, go ahead, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Mike, I actually wanted to agree with you on something. I think the Dewey, <laughs> I think the Dewey and Gale interaction was was wonderful. Honestly, uh, I thought it it's felt awesome. very very natural. Uh, you could kind of feel like they both missed the relationship, and they kind of wished things didn't end the way it did. And uh, you can tell Dewey is still very in love with. With Gail, I, I thought that it was great, honestly. And like you said, Mike, that hey, hey. that interaction felt very natural for them throughout the whole franchise. That's just how they are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really quick, I know it was in the last set of scenes, but when Dewey sent in the text, he goes, probably shouldn't have sent the smiley face and sets the phone down. <laughs> 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 we've all been there, haven't we? Like, hey, we've, we probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> we've all been there. As soon as you send the message, you just put the phone face down and don't look at it. <laughs> Great line. All right. All right. We're in the hospital. Oh, Dewey. We're in the hospital again with Tara, and she yells out hello several times after hearing some noises. She unhooks herself and hobbles out of bed. She wheels around, and the lights go out. She makes it into the dark hallway, and her phone rings. She doesn't answer, and we see Sam driving recklessly, trying to make it to Tara. Tara is wheeling down the hallway, and she sees a dead officer on the floor. Tara tries to reach for his gun, but it's missing. She hears another door open, and she hides in a room. Tara tries to call off a landline, but then she bashes Richie in the head. Then Ghostface appears behind him and cuts his arm and slams Richie's head into the door. Tara hits Ghostface with some hospital equipment, whatever that thing's called, like checks your heart monitor and all that, then gets back to the hall. Ghostface answers Richie's phone as Ghostface walks slowly behind Tara. Ghostface gives Sam an ultimatum. Do you want me to kill Tara or Richie? Tara is dumped onto the floor and tries to crawl away. Sam is called a selfish bitch and the elevator opens and Dewey shoots at Ghostface. Dewey helps Richie up, and Ghostface attacks Dewey. Dewey gets his gun back after a squabble and shoots Ghostface repeatedly in the core area. Dewey gets Richie and the two ladies on the elevator. He says, you gotta shoot in the head or it comes back. He marches towards Ghostface, reloading his gun. He goes to shoot, but is distracted by his phone ringing. Dewey is stabbed several times and falls to his knees. The call is from Gale. 
It's an honor as Ghostface pulls the two knives out and Dewey lies dead on the floor. Gail arrives and sees Dewey carted out dead. She cries and is stopped by Sam and Richie. Gail is in the lobby of the hospital and Sam says she's sorry. He helped helped people. That's what he does, Gail says. Sam is told her sister is awake. Sydney arrives and hugs Gail. They both say they shouldn't be here and they hug again. Sam walks off and into, into Tara's room. Sam apologizes for not telling her sooner. Tara is mad that Sam left her. Sam says she was scared she turned into just like Billy. You can never be like him, she tells her. They both chuckle as they comment on how high Tara is. Tara asks, what do we do? Sam says we're getting the fuck out of Woodsboro. Sydney stops Sam as they're leaving. Richie says he'll bring the car around. Sydney calls Sam Billy's daughter. She tells Sam she's been through this a lot if she wants to talk. Sam says she's sorry about Dewey, but she's getting her sister away from this. Gail tells Sam to watch her tone. Sydney says she wants to Sam to help help her kill them. Sydney says she won't sleep until he's dead. Sam says this isn't my story. Sam gets in the car and Sydney tells her good luck. Gail jokes that went terribly, but Sydney put a tracker on the car. It seems like something Gail Weathers would do. Back in the car and Tara can't find her inhaler. Tara says she has one at uh, Amber's, and Richie is hesitant to stop. We're at Amber's now, and a big party is going down. Chad has a toast to Wes. Amber scolds him for it. Mindy asks about more beer, and Amber says there's more in the basement, and she'll go get it. She notices the light switch doesn't work and uses her phone light to go downstairs. She pulls the chain for light. She gets the beer and closes the refrigerator door, and Mindy scares her. She says that was a test. Amber says you also shouldn't follow someone into a dark basement. They now both say they're the killer. Mindy says don't trust anyone. They make it up the stairs after some more banter. Liv asks Chad if they want to go upstairs to have sex. Chad freezes up. The moment was too big. He pissed down his leg. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he, he basically just says he isn't sure if Liv's the killer or not yet. He says the safest option is to be down here, and then Liv storms away. All right, go ahead, Brian. I had to say the TikTok coach's line again. <laughs> By the way, did anybody think else think that Mindy and Amber were going to kiss down there in that basement? I mean, it kept... It kept like hitting at it, hitting at it. Oh, yeah. And I thought happened, a makeout but... session was about to happen. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. So first off, we talked about the Easter egg in, in the hospital scene with our interview with Guy Busick and the Dawson's Creek episode. So I'm not going to say it here. I'm going to say go listen to that flipping interview. Um, but truthfully, it's not one that I caught at all. So also Richie being hit with the phone, being uh, reminiscent of Billy hitting Stu with the phone in the first one. Uh, but I will say Nico said this in the instant reaction, and I do fully agree with him on this one. This scene doesn't work for me once you know who the ghost face killers are. Um, honestly, on a bunch of different levels, like, first of all, she should have definitely, quote unquote, chose to save her sister over someone she's only known for six months. But OK, I, I kind of liked how she did say she was stalling. So um, most of all, no way Amber is fighting Dewey. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I mean, some people have issues with, with Dewey following the rules and then going back to shoot her in the head and, and still dying. But but come on. I mean, these movies have definitely earned that, I think, over all this time. Uh, I don't mind Dewey dying. I just wish that it would have been handled a little bit differently, or at least, or at least had Richie be the one who did it. Um, there's literally no reason for Richie to even be there. Uh, you know, plus even you know, since Scream Two review, I'm still waiting on on one of the on one of them to to kill one of the Ghostface killers early on, 
and then do like an early reveal, then just focus on, you know, one the rest of the way if they're going to do two. But again, the Sam and Gail convo, I think would have, would have been also a little bit more meaningful had they, had there been a little bit more past with, with Sam and, and Dewey, I think before this movie. Um, and honestly, there's no bad group of scenes to me. There really isn't. I mean, there may be something I don't like, like in this group, I just touched on the problems I thought with the hospital scene. I, but, but then bam, like it just makes up for it with this party and fucking Stu Mocker's house. Like so many Easter eggs with, with a dedication to Wes in the movie who is named Wes so that we can have a figurative dedication to Wes in the literal dedication to Wes movie. Fucking brilliant. Uh, so many ex cast members who voiced to Wes, you know, for, from the franchise that was used during this toast. Uh, I had the list, maybe we can read it, you know, in the fun facts, but that was, it was such an awesome touch as well, you know, as well as a return to the basement, uh, where, where Tatum bit it. Um, and is it here where that voice says like cool house, uh, Freeman, and it's actually Matthew Lillard, which is even more meta because it's really Stu's house, which is played with Matthew Lillard. So. Um, anyway, I, I love this group of scenes too. Okay. Um, I don't mind them going to the hospital. There's a small part of me that, and this is golly, it's a minor nitpick. And I do mean very minor, but we already saw Tara get attacked once. And I'm not a thousand percent sure we needed to see it again. However, that being said, once we get to the, the part where Ghostface is kind of behind her, walking on the phone with Sam making, you know, Sam pick, um, you know, between her, her boyfriend and, and Tara, like that's fine. Um, I guess like, I think that's pretty intense, but like we've already kind of seen Tara get attacked. So I was, you know, I guess it could have been someone else. You know, that being said, doesn't sound, you know, it's not that bad to me. Um, now I like the fact that she kind of kept her or she kept, Ghostface on the phone, stall, and then in comes Dewey. I I don't have a problem with any of this. And I know I'm going to c- catch a little bit of flack for it. But, yeah, I mean, realistically, maybe Amber wouldn't be able to fight Dewey. But how do we know? Amber may be a black belt in karate. We don't fucking know. You know? I mean, look, if you don't like it, that's fine. But it didn't do – it didn't – it doesn't take away – for me, and I think Brian's going to touch on this at some point, but to me, Ghostface is just Ghostface. Like I almost forget that there's two different people throughout the film until the end. Uh, but to me, it's just Ghostface. And if so, if one of the characters of the Legacy Three were going to die, it makes a whole lot of sense to have it be Dewey, because we're as the three go. We're the most emotionally invested in that character in this movie. They've set him up to be someone we care about, and then they rip our hearts out by killing him off. And it's an awesome kill. You know, a lot of legacy characters don't get good kills when they're killed off in the franchises. They hardly ever do, as a matter of fact. Here, we get a really good kill. Dewey kind of died the way he always almost dies, and the other four films, which is fucking around, <laughs> trying to be the, you know, he, 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 he just makes one little mess up and he either gets shot or stabbed and normally he lives, but this time he didn't live. And I think that 
you know, ratcheted up the expectations. Like, okay, this movie has stakes, which is exactly what they say in the Ghostface reveal, and they're absolutely right. So they're they're right that we had to kill Dewey to, you know, our film has stakes. You're absolutely right. I said going into this movie, one of them had to die. One of the three had to die, and the fact that it's Dewey, I think, is the proper choice for where this film went. I think it was a really good kill, and I have no problem with it being Amber because honestly, I forgot that it that it was even Amber till somebody mentioned it a couple of days after the fact. But that's you know that's just not something that I have a big nitpick with. Um, okay, I like the stuff at this party. You know, I like the tribute to West that's very meta that you touched on. I think it's really cool. You know, it's Drew Barrymore and Hayden Pantier and and you know everyone. Like there there's as many as they could get, they did it. And I think it was really cool to have the character Wes and Wes Craven kind of have their tribute at the same time. That was really cool. I appreciated that. I liked it at Stu Mocker's house. I've seen some complaints online. It's almost like that's one of those things where sit back and have fun with it. Don't overthink it. It's Stu Mocker's house because we're going back to the original. That's the whole point of this film. It's the recall. So you kind of have to have Stu Mocker's house in this movie. And I think it was a pretty good way to get to it. Um, one thing, one little small part of this scene that I don't like is the stuff in the basement. It's almost trying a little too hard to have some red herrings for both of them. I think that it's a little bit, some of the cringe isn't the right word, but I'm just kind of like, eh, okay, I get it. They could both be the killer. Like I got it. I just felt like it went on a little too long. I don't feel like uh, just the back and forth. Like I felt like it was the only scene in the film where people don't really talk like that to me, <laughs> um, to each other. You know, they were kind of like both being like, oh, it could be me. Like, I don't know. I just felt like it went on a little too long. But outside of that, I think all this other stuff is great. I mean, the, the, the setting is exactly what it should be, which is the house, same house that the last party happened in the original. So that's a lot of fun. And so I like the set of scenes. And of course, it's hard not to like the set of scenes when you finally got to let go of one of the mainstay characters of your favorite horror movie franchise. This is the last scene that Dewey will ever be in, I think. <laughs> so, uh, you know, unless you just Halloween that shit and retcon everything. <laughs> but, um, I mean, and you're talking about Stu's house and I, I, I kind of go into it a little bit more in this next thing, but. You don't, and I, I, uh, we do because we've seen Scream fifty bajillion times. But the way that they shoot this set of scenes, you don't really know that that's Stu's house yet, and that is so fucking cool. I think until because it actually gets a reveal later, which I think is great. All right, back to Gail and Sydney. After tonight, no more books, no more movies, no more Ghostface. Sydney says, <laughs> "My man Chad is down bad, texting Liv over and over." and goes outside to find her while Mindy watches Stab. Chad goes outside and gets a message from Find My Fam. He uses it to find Liv. He hears the bushes rustle and calls for her. He gets to where Liv's phone is and turns around and Ghostface is there. Chad is stabbed in the leg, and he bashes Ghostface in the head. He hobbles away and hides on the other side of the house. He launches his phone so he can't be found with the GPS. Chad makes a run for it, but Ghostface appears from the shed and stabs him in his back and his gut repeatedly. Ghostface runs away as headlights appear. They all go inside to get the inhaler. The crowd cheers as they enter. Amber hugs Tara and tells her it's in her room. Amber yells out, party's over. 
Richie turns the lights on and tells them this is a murder target area and for them to get out. We see Mindy making out, but her partner has to leave. Richie walks into the room and asks if they have beer. She says it's in the basement. He asks if she'll come with him. She says no as they share a laugh. Liv jump scares Mindy as she plops down beside Mindy on the couch. Liv asks her if she's afraid of her. She says maybe her being too boring was the twist to being the killer. Liv snatches her snacks and tells her to enjoy the movie. Sydney says they've stopped and they realize where they've stopped at. Sydney calls Sam and says that's Stu Mocker's house and for them to leave. Mindy yells for Randy to turn around as Ghostface appears behind her. We hear some commotion and Sam bashes Ghostface with a lamp to help save Mindy. Amber runs in and asks what she did to her. Amber yells out, one of you are the fucking killer. Liv has blood on her hands. She says it's Chad. I'm not the fucking killer, Liv says, and Amber says, I know, and shoots Liv, killing her. Welcome to Act 3, she says. Richie and Sam make it into the basement. Richie says there's always two killers as Sam tries to get past him to go up back upstairs to get Tara. She holds a knife to his face, and then he accuses Tara. How well do you really know her? She gets past him and runs upstairs. Gail and Sydney make it to the house, and they get guns. They hear screams, and Sydney asks if she's ready. Gail says, me? Never. Amber plays victim, but then shoots Gail in like her hip area. Sydney says to go to the hospital, but she says no. Do this for Dewey. Sydney goes into the house and calls out for anyone in the house to show themselves. She shoots the closet that she popped out from from the first screen. Sam hears rumbling from a closet and opens it up. It's Tara all tied up. Sam hesitates. Sydney answers her phone as Ghostface. It's not Amber, it's the other Ghostface. She shoots into a closet and hits Richie in his leg. Ghostface appears from another room, and Sydney and Ghostface fall over the staircase to the floor below. Richie goes down the stairs, and Sam gets the gun. Richie now reveals that he's the other Ghostface when he stabs Sam in the side. He points the gun at Sydney as he pushes the blade in deeper. Richie reveals the inhaler and tells Sam he can't believe this worked. Sam says this isn't a fucking movie. Amber says time for the big finale. Richie pulls the knife out of her. Amber pulls Sydney into the kitchen and Richie has Amber get Gale. How can fandom be toxic, he asks Sydney. He says based on actual events is how you make a great stab movie. Richie says Sam is the villain of this movie. Amber says the problem with stab is there's no Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. Amber met Richie in a stab subreddit and she's been obsessed since they bought this house. Stab wouldn't work without bringing back some legacy characters. Anyone can die in a requel. Sydney char- uh, charges for a knife, but is stabbed by Amber. Richie says, we can't let you live either. It would be ridiculous to survive so many times. And we got one more set of scenes, and that'll be the ending. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, first of all, let me just say that uh, that Chad walking out with the candlestick and some party goer going, oh, what's up, Colonel Mustard? Bro, I died. Like, I don't know why that got the biggest laugh out of me, but God, that was fucking hilarious to me. Maybe it's just the dad joke in me. I don't know. But uh, now with that said, I probably cared the least about Chad. And this is Amber again, right? I think. But, you know, since Richie's in the car, yeah, I think it does have to be Amber. And to me, I think that's kind of ridiculous again. Like what we should have done here since we cared more about Mindy is had her upstairs hooking up with that girl from the couch in that last scene, mirroring kind of Billy and Sydney's sex scene from the first one, and then had her be attacked because I don't buy Amber being able to take a shot to the face like Chad gave her. Plus like all those people that were outside suddenly are nowhere to be found once they're outside. And how the hell did she even get in that garage? I don't know. It just didn't play out very well to me. 
Um, and, and Mindy watching stab one with the Randy scene and the killer being behind both of them is what I was talking about earlier with it just being, that was just too much on the nose for me. It just, it didn't play for me and, and that's okay. Like not everything will, but that's the one that kind of hit me a little bit like, meh. Um, but like I talked about in that last set of scenes, the reveal that that is Stu Mocker's house, you know, by Sydney and, and Gail was, was phenomenal to me. Like I loved it after all this time. I honestly didn't realize that Stu Mocker's house had become and is like a character itself, like just by this scene alone, like, and them pulling up and hearing screams sounds about right. So badass. And uh, I thought, and, and just just the moment we take to pan on the house as Sydney is about to walk in, phenomenal. Uh, now Sydney just randomly shooting closets. I was like, damn girl, like you could have just unloaded on Tara or a good guy. But I get it. And honestly, until Nico just said shot the closet where Sydney hid in the first one, never caught that ever. Like until he just said that, I was like, oh shit. Man, I need to up my score even more because of this shit. Like, it's just, it's, man, it's just Easter eggs all in this thing. Um, but since we're at the reveal, and Mike kind of touched on it that, yeah, I was going to kind of like touch on the ghost face thing a little bit. I'll go ahead and say it. And we talked about this some earlier amongst ourselves, and I know at least Dustin doesn't agree. But personally, and maybe it's because of all the who done it movies, I just per- purpose personally think that it's evolved past who the killer is for me. I don't care who the killer is personally. Now it's about the story now. Like I don't see the movie as quote, like without the ghost face reveal, it's just mindless kills on screen. Like I see this movie, you know, as is a lot of good character development really good story about how you deal with trauma, how different people deal with trauma, you know, as well as meta commentary on real life fandom, like the killer reveals in, in these screen movies have affected me in the past, but this one and scream four, I felt like the story was so good. The killer reveals didn't matter truthfully. Um, but again, that's, that's just my opinion. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we kind of touched on the legacy characters and then kind of needed to take a little bit of a step back, as Brian mentioned here. And I kind of agree with that, but I do like that they're in the final act, that they're not just background characters. I feel like they're needed to kind of solve this ghost face thing because without them, you know, you don't, uh, you just don't get, you know, the, the nostalgic feeling that I want and you, you don't get it. Um, so I, you know, I agree with you. I don't necessarily care about Chad, but I was, but I, I'm interested to, I was interested the first time to see if they were going to kill him off, you know, or how, you know, how that was going to end up because sometimes in a horror movie, you get characters that are just on screen to die, but I don't feel you get that in the scream franchise. I feel like at least the characters always have something to do. And so even with Chad, I'm kind of like, I wonder if that's where they're going to go. And yeah, this is obviously Amber. And again, I just want to repeat, I know I'm in the minority, but what, which ghost faces, which doesn't make a difference to me. Like we're too far into the franchise. I try not to overthink it. I just think of it as one single entity ghost face. And if you want to put more logic into that, I totally understand that that's totally fine with me. If that's your movie going experience, I got it. 
but I thought it was a really good, well shot, well lit ghost face attack. Like I, I thought it was was pretty good. Uh, and I think if Chad died, it may have had more stakes. Uh, but we'll get to that. Um, and you know, all this, you know, we're back to everyone's accusing each other. Everyone's accusing each other. I like the suddenness of the decision for Amber to go. I know, bam, blows her head off. I like that. I think it's good. Oh, like I, I, lo- I love that kill. I had that too. Like her being <laughs> shot, it was yeah. easy, but dude, it was so sudden. And I was like, oh shit, that's awesome. Yeah. And again, it wasn't, she wasn't, you know, pussyfooting around out here. She's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm Ghostface. What the fuck are you going to do about it? You know, and <laughs> so that to me, knowing, so seeing the kind of Ghostface that Amber was, the kind of viciousness in which she approached the situation, to me, none of the kills that were her bother me. Maybe that's why. If she would have gotten into this reveal and been a chicken shit, then I would have understood the complaints a little more. But I think just, you know what? Shoots her right in the head. All right, now we have one of our ghost face revealed. And I I like all this. This is, to me, the closest thing we get to the quote-unquote chase scene. And I like that Amber kind of comes out like she's been stabbed. And, and, and Sydney and Gail are like, eh, I don't know about this shit. And Amber, yet again, is just like, you know what? Why am I doing this? Shoots one. Tries to say, ah, fuck it. You need to be dead anyway. So I like all that. Like, I think I don't necessarily love Amber as a reveal, but I do think she's a pretty vicious ghost face. Like, I'm okay with her being one of the ghost faces. She's still better than Roman. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we need to do a rank in the ghost face episode because I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say about that. But anyway, um, so I like all this chase, not chasey, and this kind of doubt that Richie let. And even kind of got me because to me, it was so obvious that it was Richie that I started to second guess myself on, are they going to actually do it? Like, is it going to be, you know, maybe it's Stu Mocker. Like we all joked about. There's a small part of me that wanted to be Stu so bad. So I could see Nico's reaction. I, I was begging for them to have the balls to have it be Stu just so I could see how Nico would react. Nico might've walked out of the theater. Uh, but you know having a little bit of doubt that maybe it is Tara which doesn't make sense by the way she literally got it now she didn't die and we've seen that in other in other you know in Scream 4 where the ghost faces kind of quote unquote attack each other you know one you know one of those things so I that was still that little seed of doubt I was like okay I like that and I like that that came back into play later I like the reveal of Richie though. I think it's very subtle. It's very, it's, it's very, you know, just kind of, it's the opposite of Amber. And I think it kind of worked. You know, he just kind of boom stabs her in the stomach. Uh, and while I'm not a big fan of the choice, which is weird because this is exactly what I would have done in scream two and had it be Sydney's boyfriend again, just to give the middle finger to everyone that didn't think they would do it back to back movies. But here it's, it's fine. It's definitely not the best reveal we've seen, but they talk throughout the entire film going back to the original. This is a requel. We have to go back to the original and they did exactly that. It was the love interest of the main character, which is Sam. Um, I really do appreciate all of this real life meta stuff where they met up on Reddit. Uh, you know, they're met, you know, they met in threads and they're big stab fanatics and, you know, why their movie has to be, 
you know, that there hasn't been a good stab movie since the original. How many times have we heard that within the Halloween community? Hasn't been a good Halloween movie since 78. Well, that's bullshit. And I'm sure it's bullshit about stab, you know, like, sure. There's some other good stabs in there somewhere and there's other good Halloweens and, you know, Nico's the opposite, but there's a lot of people that say everything past the first Friday the 13th sucks. I've seen that, you know, and, and that would mean none of the Jason movies are good. Come on. That's ridiculous. So like you see that kind of fandom within the horror community. And so I thought it was really good to touch on that. And real quick, I know they talked about the movie having stakes and how I kind of agreed with that in this real life thing. So it's interesting to see my own kind of maybe a little bit of my own toxic fandom where it's like, hey, will you kill one of these fucking main characters, please? Will somebody, will one of you die finally? You know, I kind of see it in myself. And so I, part of, my, you know, my rants lately have just been like, I need to take a step back and try to be the least like these two people that I possibly can be. It's why I didn't. I thought Texas Chainsaw was pretty fun, and I I, I think this one is as well. Um, are these the two best Ghostface reveals? No. Uh, I think that would clearly go to number one or four, but uh, I don't think they're as bad as people thought they were. I just thought that one was a little obvious. Um, and I look, I like all the stuff that we're about to get here, so I'll save it. But, uh, yeah, go ahead. All right, here's the ending. Get Tara out and time to start staging the bodies. Richie calls Sam stupid for not listening to Dewey. Tara isn't in the closet. She was untied. Richie's phone rings and Amber is attacked by Tara with a crutch. Sam charges and attacks Richie. She bites his arm and runs away. Amber slams Tara into the wall and throws her on the ground. Sydney trips Amber and Gail grabs her arm as Sydney bashes her in the face with like a glass container of hand sanitizer. Amber begs for mercy, then says Dewey died like a pussy. Uncalled for, Amber. Richie follows a blood trail to Sam. Amber is choking Gail now. Then she gets headbutted. She kicks Amber into the stove who turns on the burners. Gail shoots Amber now and she falls into the fire, instantly becoming a blaze from all the hand sanitizer on her. Enjoy that torch, Gail says. Sam jumps out of closet and attacks Richie. He says to stop fucking up my ending as he slams her into a wall. Sam crawls away and they stumble down the stairs. Richie is standing over her and she sees Billy in the mirror who looks towards these like umbrellas. Sam introduces a new rule. Never fuck with a daughter of a serial killer. She stabs him through his cheeks and then stabs him repeatedly in the chest. He yells out, wait, what about my ending? She slits his throat and wipes the blood off the knife. Gail and Sydney enter the room and Sam shoots him twice after Sydney says they always come back. Amber now charges after them with a knife, but Tara shoots her, killing her. I still prefer the Babadook, she says. Tara and Sam hug. Mindy is carted off in an ambulance, still alive. Sam embraces Tara, who asks to be taken to a different hospital. Sam walks up to Gail and Sydney and thanks them both. I'll survive, Sydney says. She checks on Gail and says she knows what she'll write about. A good man who was once sheriff. Sam asks them a weird question. Will I be okay? Eventually, Sydney says. Sam sees Billy in the reflection of the car door's glass. Sam boards the ambulance with Tara. We get a panning away shot of the house as a reporter talks on what happened 25 years ago and the final chapter closed tonight. The film ends as the screen turns black and it says four West and the end credits roll. All right, Brian, what do you think of the ending? Sidebar, whenever we make Don't Go Out There, the movie, trademark, copyright, trademark, copyright, um, 
the last scene, Nico's going to say, I still prefer the Babadook. I'm just going to say, we're, we're going to just put that line in there. Um, but yeah, so I do think that this is the best ending since the original, which if you recall that, that ending isn't perfect either. Um, some, so some nitpicks here about this one that I just, you know, like it's the, the overpowered or underpowered Amber, like this tough Amber can beat up guys, but can't take a half powered, like handicapped Terra hardly. Um, you know, and I don't know, I'm, I'm also, I'm perfectly fine with Sam seeing Billy, um, but showing up while she's looking for the knife, I thought was a little much like, I think her just seeing him in the puddle at the end would have been like, would have been the best, um, you know, and obviously what we saw of him earlier. Uh, I just, that was the only part of Billy showing up. I was like, man, I didn't really care for a whole lot. Um, and I did not at all like Amber coming back again after she had already been burned. I just, I kind of feel like that that's been overdone in, especially in this franchise. Um, but positives, I do love Amber's death. Uh, I, well, her first death when she gets set on fire. Um, I definitely would have been mad had a uh, Gail, you know, not gotten to do her in. So I'm really glad that, that Gail got to do that. I really love Richie's death too. Actually, Richie's is probably my second favorite death of everybody's. Um, I thought that was very well done. Um, you know, and, and just because I think it's cool, just a couple of things like, you know, both like Chad and Mindy surviving kind of parallels the, uh, the, um, injuries that Dewey and Randy's, you know, had from the first ghost face in the, or in the original scream, the way Chad is shown in the ambulance is actually similar to the way Dewey got loaded up in the ambulance at the end of the original. Um, while Mindy is stabbed in the upper right of her body, which is the same spot as her uncle Randy is shot by Billy Loomis. Um, and also just because I'm a graphics nerd, the film's in credits font is the same one used in the first three movies which I personally missed in Scream 4. So um, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I... Okay. Hit and miss on the ending for me because while I've... Again, we, we know what the... Or we know who the ghost face are, and I think that's fine, and I kind of... Again, I like their reasoning. So, you know, they're going to you know stage all the bodies, and I love the interaction between Amber, Gail, Sydney here that we get. Um <laughs> the cold killer line of of Amber telling Gail that Dewey went out like a pussy is obsessive shit right there. But like all that is is something. And again, that all that you know, the pass the torch thing and the handset and Amber burning alive, I think is it's an interesting kill for a screen movie. It's not something we've seen before. So I think maybe that's why I don't hate it that much. You know, you gotta try new stuff sometimes and you guys know how i feel about all the other kills in every scream it's pretty much stabs to the face stabs to the back stabs to the ass you know stabs to the dick you know whatever just stabs all the time hence why the film within the film is called stab and so to see someone die in a different way was was fine if they left it there they didn't they had the fake out and burned amber coming back as the fake out to me took me out of that scene a little bit. That was a little too far, even for me who can suspend this disbelief. Now I laughed because it looked ridiculous, <laughs> but I, uh, it, it did take me out of it a little bit. Not going to lie. Um, I love, and I do mean love this final scene here with Richie and Sam. 
I think, you know, he's, he thought he was so smart the whole time and he really wasn't. And just the ruthlessness that Sam unloads on him with the stabs is crazy. You know, she kind of channeled her inner Billy Loomis here by just unloading with the knife, uh, especially that stab to the face and the, you know, slit across the throat. I, uh, yeah, so I, I really, I thought that was a good interaction as well. And, you know, you had the three final women here, really good choices. Like if, or excuse me, the four final woman, because Tara's still around and she's the one that actually ends Amber, which is also fitting considering that was her best friend, uh, you know, that was trying to kill her and her family and stuff. So I, I, uh, I thought that was good. I like all the stuff, you know, post house party, you know, with the ambulance and and stuff. It mirrors the first one, like you mentioned, Brian. Uh, mostly all of it, actually. And I think the line, am I going to be okay, will get me to something we're going to talk about here at the end of where this franchise could be headed. But for the most part, I really, I thought the ending was hit and miss because I don't necessarily think uh, the Amber thing, that. The way they killed off Amber kind of took me out of the ending. That, I really think that's my biggest gripe, but I like that Gail got her revenge for Dewey, and I like that, you know, I like that Sydney wasn't the one that kind of conquered Ghostface this time. She was just a background player in the right way. Um, and as much as I love Halloween 2018, she didn't Laurie Strode herself here. She was there, but she wasn't the focal point. And I think Sam being the one that conquered uh Ghostface was a good choice. So a little bit of hit and miss, uh, but overall, I I enjoyed it. All right, y'all. Y'all ready to jump into social media? We got a decent amount of comments. Sure. Uh, let's start with Twitter first. Kevin Scanlon, he commented, in my opinion, this movie was the best since the original. Where does it land on the list for you guys? Well, my friend, we're going to rank these later, so just stay tuned. Right. And then Sean <laughs> Irwin Oh, I can't believe he had the nerve to say this to me. This opening <laughs> sequence was the second best of the series. It's overall a great movie. My question is, why does Nico hate great movies? My question <laughs> is, why do you like bad movies? <laughs> Nico does and, hate some great movies, but he likes some other great movies, so I'm willing to call it a wash. I feel like, how, how Nick- dare you? <laughs> <laughs> the unmitigated gall of you, Sean Irwin. <laughs> Anywho, appreciate you, Sean. Thank you uh, for being a fan. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go to Facebook now. Jennifer Kramer commented, I really like this movie. I've seen it twice in theater, and my husband thinks I'm crazy for it. I can't wait to own it. Me too. I'm going to buy it on Blu-ray when I can. Oh, I'm excited to have the Me Blu-ray. and Mike both want it on the Blu-ray. Uh, hashtag physical copies are better. Uh, overall, Excellent. I just love all the Scream movies. I think this one ends the Gale and Sydney storyline, and moving forward, it's a new Scream franchise with new survivors. I mean, I, I honestly don't know where Scream 6 is going. So, I mean, I could see that happening, though. Uh, I'll just jump on Instagram now. Mark underscore have commented, that's the Scream movie I was looking for with a bunch of exclamation marks and the hand clap emoji. I respect it, brother. Uh, Crystal from Horror Nights In, she commented, favorite kill. We'll touch on that in just a few moments. Absolutely. Uh, Queen is Elizabeth 717. Do you think Tara and Sam's mom and Tara's dad will be in the new one for how they were portrayed in this film? I see them making this a trilogy and curious on your guys' thoughts on what could entail. Um, Maybe yeah. at least the dad. 
At least Tara's dad. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I don't know either. Sorry. Sorry, uh, Queen Elizabeth. I really Yeah, I wish I, I could I answer know. that a little bit better. It's I've a great got question. where I want them to go with it, but I don't know if they really will. Yeah, we will talk about where we think they're going to go with it. All right. Uh, Alex, one comment. You could easily rip on many aspects of this movie, and by golly, do I really want to. But it's not worth the effort because it's just too much of a good time. I don't remember the last time I had so much fun in the theater. I was jumping and squirming in my seat, hollering and laughing at every stab and scare. And damn it, it felt good to have those natural visceral reactions. The filmmakers did well by not staying by not straying far from the patent and scream formula. Wes would have been proud of their effort. I think Wes would be proud of this as well. I think Wes would be very proud of this. All right, here's a controversial take. J Man fifty seven sixty five commented Netflix Leatherface greater than Scream Five. But it was nostalgic. Uh, buddy. Wolf. That's a tough take. I mean, everyone's got an opinion. You know. All right. The last one we have is a uh, fairy chick. Can't wait for this one. I thought it was great. Humor took me right back to the first movie. One particular scene should not have happened, but it is what it is with the crying emoji. I think I know where you're going with that. I have a feeling we're talking about Sir Dewey, and I, I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I, I, I think it should have happened. I think that's a big disagreement, Mike. Not just slightly. Yeah. What's all? In f- <laughs> hey, with all due respect. <laughs> yeah, with, with all due respect, respectfully. <laughs> all right, uh, that's it for social media. Y'all ready to jump into fun facts? I've only got one. I've got. I'll a go few. ahead. Go you ahead. Can just go do it real quick, Brian. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> David Arquette, who is a certified Bob Ross painting instructor, taught several of the cast members how to paint like the legendary artists during filming breaks. Iconic. <laughs> That's the only fun fact I got. Um, yeah, so like I said, I got a few. Um, in September 2020, it was announced Jack Quaid from uh, The Boys was at, by the way, I love The Boys. Like, that's, I love that show. But uh, was added to the cast of the film. Coincidentally, his mother, Meg Ryan, was referenced in the original Scream when Dewey tells Sydney that he sees her as a young Meg Ryan. Um, also, I put this in here just because we've been on such a Samara weaving kick lately. She was actually approached to be in the film, but was unfortunately unavailable due to scheduling conflicts with nine perfect strangers. <laughs> um, the second Scream to feature Dewey's home being in a mobile trailer after Scream 3. Scream 3, yep. Yep, and the last thing I want to touch on, I mean, I could get into all the the guest stars that 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 recorded ADR for the Wes Craven tribute, but that's just, it's too many. Just go look it up. But I will say the character names in Judy's phone are Leroy from The People Under the Stairs, Nancy T, who is Heather Lane Camp's yeah. character in Elm Street, Tina G, who is Amanda Wiss's character in Elm Street, yeah. and then... B. Adams, which is Brandon Adams, who played a fool in The People Under the Stairs as well. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, also, if you really want some behind-the-scenes fun facts, uh, right literally as we're recording this, I'm sure you could go back on Twitter and find it, but Guy Busick and James Vanderbilt and the producers are all doing a Scream watch-along right now, and some of the actors, and they're giving some behind-the-scenes tidbits, uh, hashtag Scream Watch Party on Twitter. You can go and read what they're saying, but... They're giving out a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes scoops that would be considered as fun facts. You know, just kind of scrolling while we were recording, I found some cool stuff. I'm not going to read them because there's a lot, but I'm going to recommend that you go to Guy Busick's Twitter, and he's revealing a lot of the stuff. 
of you know stuff that was written for certain characters but ended up with you know with different ones and stuff like that so highly recommend you go read his twitter timeline uh all right let's talk about money nico's favorite thing uh the budget for this movie was 24 million don't look at me like that the uh the budget for this film was 24 million dollars and just the box office because you know it hasn't been out long enough to do everything yet but the box office 138 million dollars which is the exact reason why it's getting a sequel as we all kind of thought that it may um this movie unfortunately and i'm glad that scream 4 is finding its footing um and it's kind of a uh sleeper if you will not not a cult classic because that's not true but i do think it has more appreciation now than it did when it first came out that's for sure but uh really quick this movie not a cult classic yet but it will get there this movie made as much money in the opening weekend as Scream 4 did during its theatrical run, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. <laughs> so that's a little bit of a toughie. Wow. Hey. Which I is think BS because Scream 4 rocks. I just think after COVID, people were just ready to go see some movies, honestly. Uh, it was a rough couple years, stuck in the house. Uh, let's jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating. Who wants to go first? going to make me go or first. Or it was because of a scream and everybody was looking forward to it. <laughs> Said, or that's true it was scream. And everybody's looking forward to it. It's a <laughs> beloved franchise. It's a little, yeah, it's definitely a little bit of both. Uh, Nico, why don't you go first? You're 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 taught <laughs> as much as we have. <laughs> All right, I'll go first. Uh, just want to throw oh, this no. disclaimer out, Mr. Guy Busick. If you listen, um, please don't unfollow me on Twitter. But I'm going to be honest with my opinions. Favorite kill? I chose Dewey. I have a huge issue with the ghost face in this kill, but I will give the filmmakers credit that it was shot incredibly well. Uh, the dim hallway looked great, and I love the movement of Ghostface as he or as she pulled the knives out and just walked and hovered his body. And then you saw Gail was the one calling him, and it was Gail's phone call that distracted Dewey, which got him killed. I love the scene, love the kill. Least favorite kill, uh, Dewey's partner Judy. She's a legacy character, a newly appointed sheriff who foolishly just runs to her front porch. Uh, Judy, I have no problem with her dying in this movie, but she was written to look very dumb and unprepared for Ghostface. I mean, she knew he was there. Uh, And me and Patrick talked about this on Instagram, and he actually agreed with me, so I appreciate that. Uh, (laughs) But here's my my thoughts, and bear with me. Or you can just fast-forward them if you don't listen. It's cool. Uh, I've watched this movie a total of three times now, twice since its digital release. I had an absolute blast chatting with the co-writer of the film, Guy Busick. I think he did a great job creating a requel. The movie is well shot and looks great. Uh, Thank goodness that lighting effect from 4 is gone, because I know Mike hates it, and I think we all kind of hate it, whatever the hell they had going on with 4. The upped gore in this movie compared to the others was a welcome sight. The legacy characters are good, but I must say David and Jenna Ortega steal the show for me. Uh, Incredible emotional portrayals by both of them. Arquette gives his best acting job I've ever seen him in this film. Uh, He's just locked into this character and the arc, and I love it. Uh, The scene where Gail sees Dewey Card out of the hospital is truly touching, and it gave me and it gave me chills. Like we we talked about that a lot in our reaction. Uh, The opening scene is my second favorite in the franchise, obviously because the first one has probably the greatest opening in general. I'll just say in general. I say, very damn close of all time in any film genre. Yeah, absolutely. in general. 
Uh, Ortega acts her behind off and does fantastic recreating Drew Barrymore's iconic scene. Also, Roger L. Jackson is amazing, as to be expected, and I loved and appreciated the four Wests honoring him at the end. Uh, my cons now, uh, I hope Brian and Mike don't hate me, but I've got a little bit I'm written here. I'm fast-forwarding you. I'm fast-forwarding you. Right hey, just now. meet me, Brian, right now. Uh, <laughs> my cons. Now, starting off, uh, starting us off, not a fan of the name Scream. Sorry. Halloween calling itself Halloween was dumb and Scream calling Scream Scream is dumb. Uh, I don't I don't think the whole calling it a requel is a good enough reason to not call it Scream 5. Well established, I'm not a huge fan of the franchise after the first one. I feel like this franchise has backed itself into a corner with revolving around the legacy characters. It's very difficult to come with a good, believable story to justify these ghost face attacks on the same people. Uh, I think Melissa is just okay, honestly, and none of the other new cast members do anything for me. Uh, Jack doesn't have the darkness of a Billy Loomis or the charming insanity of Matthew Lillard. I don't like this Billy Loomis aspect of the film. It's a nice callback to bring him back, but it doesn't work for me. Serial killer. We all go mad a little sometimes. Billy is helping Sam, who's on Sydney's team, basically. I'm not a fan of this ending at all. I'm tired of killers whose only goal is to kill Sydney and Gail dicking around talking instead of killing. The whole dialogue of the significance of this movie is just tired to me at this point. We get to Stu's house at the one hour, 14 minute mark. Many were here for 40 minutes. The ghost face reveals were predictable and not good. Like I said in our reaction show, Amber has ghost face I have a big problem with. If you Google her height, she's five foot two and Dewey is five foot ten. Yet they look the same height in his death scene. She's not overpowering these people. The last con is it really bothers me seeing Sam at the end just walking around like she didn't just get this awful stab wound. And Sydney and Gail seem perfectly okay as well, too, with no injuries. Anywho, I'm done now. I think this movie is enjoyable for what it is. I appreciated the added gore, the killing off of a major character, and a great opening scene. However, it's still middle of the pack in this franchise. I gave it a six. Mr. Guy Busick, if you listen, don't take that personally. I'm just not the diehard Scream fan, and I think you did a great job. These are just my honest, unbiased feelings. Are you done? Oh, I'm, sorry. You got- I'm sorry, I muted you. I wasn't sure what you said. Um, but uh, yeah, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Busick, me and Mike will gladly be yeah, on Scream don't, 6. Don't worry. We'll, yeah, we'll gladly just, be just Don't worry about it. Just fast. I hope everybody fast forward through that, and now we're, <laughs> on to the, now we're on to the real stuff. Here we go, everyone. <laughs> Do you want to go ahead, Mike, or do you want to? I love you guys. Okay, I'll go ahead and read Dustin since he couldn't make the show again uh, here tonight. He says his least favorite kill. Do I even need to say it? R.I.P. Dewey. It should have been Gale. No, that would not have had the same impact, but okay. Uh, Favorite kill, Wes. Great effects of the knife coming in and out of the neck. Really great kill as well. Um, This is what he says about the film. I love the breath of fresh air that was pumped into the screen franchise's lungs. However, I do have my issues. Namely that I think Richie was one of the more enjoyable characters in the movie. Side note, that's Meg Ryan, Dennis Quaid's son. That's dope. (laughs) However, his turn was probably one of the most predictable ones in the franchise. Secondly, Amber was one of the killers. I have a hard time believing that scrawny high schooler could overpower any of the men or women that she allegedly does. Not buying it. Now, to the argument that Scream is less about who's scare-faced. That's a funny callback, if you guys know. (laughs) Now, to the argument that Scream is less about who Ghostface is these days. I disagree. It doesn't have to be everything, but it still needs to be important because otherwise there's no suspense and it's all just about kills. That detracts from any real substance of the movies, which is already lighthearted and meta as hell. 
Lastly, this movie praising that turd that is the Babadook loses points for me. So while I enjoy the movie, it's a middle-of-the-road screen film to me. I'd, I'd put it after OG 4 and 2, but before 3, and it's interchangeable with 2 for me. Rating 6.5. All right, okay. Mike. Hey, let me read Shans before yeah, you sure. go ahead and do yours, yeah. if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, she said... Uh, <clears throat> So, from the moment God that I it. found out that the directing writing team of Ready or Not were going to be taking on the newest scream, I was optimistic because I already loved that movie. There was so much anticipation, and it did not disappoint. Of course, I hated that Dewey had to die, but I also knew, going in, that there at least one legacy character wasn't going to make it through. The requel concept is more than an example of how Scream will continue to influence the lexicon of the horror genre. Hmm, I agree. The commentary on toxic fandom is so smart because if you spend any time on social media, it's there. It's true. I like the variety of new characters that are introduced in the film. I think the filmmakers did a great job carrying on the new legacy of Wes Craven. Her favorite kill is Richie because basically you get to see Sam kind of lose it in Channel Billy. Least favorite kill, Dewey, but solely because I had an attachment to his character and hate to see him gone. He killed himself or... The kill. I thought she she forgot the T, so I was like, he killed himself. No, the kill itself was actually pretty cool. Rating a nine. Oh, Shan, look at that. Okay, here I go again on my own. Okay, uh, so my favorite kill is Dewey, <laughs> uh, because I think it it was so impactful and I think it was done so well, um. And I just, again, I didn't want to see Dewey die, but I needed one of those legacy characters to go. And within this film script, it made the absolute most sense. It's almost like David Arquette got the script, said, okay, Dewey's going to die. I'm going to make you give a fuck about me dying because I'm going to act my ass off. <laughs> like that's the, that, that's what I took from it. And he succeeded. I also, uh, on, on already mentioned to the West kill. I think that stab in the neck is really, really brutal. And I thought it looked really cool as well. My least favorite kill is Vince. Uh, partially because you don't really see it. Uh, I love you know the red right hand is there, but that's you know the the kill itself is it's fine, it's whatever. Um, okay, so it's no secret, major fan of the Scream franchise. I've what? even come, I've I've even come all the way around on Scream Three <laughs> because we had to review it for this show, and I don't hate it anymore. Now again, is it great? No. But again, if it's the worst movie in your franchise, I think you're okay. I've said that a million times. Um, but anyway, big fan of the Scream franchise. So I was very excited when I heard a new Scream was coming. One, I'm just going to be excited anytime a Scream movie is put out. Same way I am about the Halloween films. But I was really excited when I heard the team behind Ready or Not was going to be in charge of it. And you read what you kind of read why they wanted to be in charge of it. They're big fans of Wes Craven. They're big fans of the Scream franchise. And so I had a really good feeling it was in the right hands. If you watch Ready or Not, that movie is a lot of fun. And when I think of Scream, I think of fun slasher movies. And so I had a really good feeling it was going to be in the right hands. And it was. I think that Wes would have been so proud of this movie uh, if he were still here and he didn't decide to direct it but left it in the hands of others. I think he would have been really proud of what they accomplished here I think it's a nice blend of new and old as far as characters go. I already praised David Arquette, but I think Courtney Cox and, and Nev Campbell do a great job as well. 
Uh, I didn't quite give them their flowers the way I should have. I think, you know, Jenna Ortega, who I already praise, she steals the show as far as acting performances. For me, I think this movie is, it, do, it does exactly what I want a screen movie to do. It has a lot of great kills. It's got, it's got Roger L. Jackson's voice doing menacing things, which I love. It's meta as hell. I love the commentary on toxic fandom. I love the commentary on elevated horror. It, it's a really good scream is a really good barometer for what else is going on within the genre at that time. So that's what I like about the scream franchise is you can pop one in and know exactly what's going on in the world of horror at that time. And I think that's, they accomplished that here. They did it with the requel commentary. They did it with the toxic fandom commentary. And I think they do a really good job. Now they don't hit on everything. Okay. It's not a perfect film, but I do think all in all, it, it's a really enjoyable screen movie. Shout out to the people who made it. it, it it's it's just a lot of fun, man. I, I never get tired of watching it. I think it's really, really good. Uh, all that being said, I gave this movie a flat nine. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So my favorite kill, I, I've already said. Um, my, my least favorite kill, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say that I just, I loved all the kills in this. So I'm going to go with the uh, police officer that was already dead in the hospital when Tara finds him. So there you go. Um, so, you know, and you guys have mentioned it, but I was kind of the opposite. I had not seen ready or not. And this movie is why I was so excited to watch ready or not. After I got done watching this movie, I was so impressed by these writers and directors and everyone knows my love for all things Kevin Williamson and my loathing for Aaron Kruger. But that's that's well documented. So to say that I was hesitant was an understatement. Um, my expectations were far exceeded. And I finally know that this franchise is in good hands moving forward in all respects. Um, my it's the to me it's the best kills in the franchise and, and it's not even really even close. Um I rated Scream a 9.5. Um I rated Scream 4 a 9. And so I'm going to go with a 9.25 for this one and uh take the cake for the highest rating. Um I think I'm pretty happy with my ratings still for this franchise while I maybe would go back and change some other ones. I think I would leave these where they are because there's a, a, a you know there's a decent drop off to the bottom two for me which we'll get into yep. whenever we rank the franchise but that's it man all right our composite score between the five O's is a seven point nine five and IMDb is a six point six with sixty thousand and forty eight ratings what do they know <laughs> what do those bums know huh? anyway still too low still too low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're pretty, uh, pretty close, honestly. Uh, but anywho, nah, let's nah, just move on from that. All of you, all of you, wrong people. What, what do y'all? Anyways, y'all want to rank them now, or do you want to touch on what we want to see in Scream Six? Let's do them both at the same time. How about that? Okay, I'll rank so them first because I, I, I really don't. So I don't have many you. thoughts on because I have no idea where they'll go. Uh, I got number one as my favorite. Uh, number four is my number two. Scream 2022 as number three. Uh, Scream 2 and then Scream 3 dead last. Very far distant dead last because I think that movie stinks. Uh, Ugh, what do I want to see out of Scream 6? 
I have no idea, honestly. I have no idea where they're going to go with this because I had no idea what they'd do with five. So I trust yeah. Guy Busick and James Vanderbilt and that team to, by my stand, I mean, to screen fans, they'll make a good movie, but I think they'll make a good movie as well. But I don't know where they'll go. Am I the only one? Am I the only one that wants to call him James Vanderbeek every time I read his yeah, name? Yeah, I, I almost did it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, want your life. <laughs> All right, Mike, do you want to go or do you want me to? Because I'm more yeah, I'll of go. A, well, let's say the best for where last. do I want them to go, not necessarily where I think they'll go. So go ahead. Okay, you have the most thoughts, so let's save the best for last there. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll rank real quick. Obviously, my number one is Scream from 1996. Classic, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, again, if we could, if we were able, if we were able to re-rate that film, I would go back and probably give it a nine point seven five. Uh, so that shows you how much love I have for the original. Number two, I had a really hard time with this, but I, I think I, pre- I feel pretty good about it. I, I'm pretty sure I gave it a nine point two five or nine point five or something like that. Uh, Scream Four is my number two. I love it so much. I think it's a hidden gem. It's very of its time, and when that movie came out, I was the same age as the characters in that movie, and so I think that definitely helps my, you know, my liking to that film a lot. Uh, number three is Scream twenty twenty two, and it's by point two five. There's not much difference there. It's you could interchange it kind of depending on my mood that day. I, I I like both films that much. Then you got a little bit of a drop off here <laughs> for number four. Scream three is my number four. Uh, because I do think it, it, while it's not a perfect film, I think it's fun throughout. Like it does a lot of batshit weird stuff. It's almost like a Scooby-Doo adventure in a way. And I have a little bit more fun with it than I used to. Number five is Scream 2. And I think it's because the second half of that thing is boring as fuck. There's just a lot of stuff I don't care about. And it's probably the two ghost face reveals I care about the least. Um, and that, to me, Scream 2, that was when the ghost face reveal still mattered to me. Uh, and so Agreed. I don't think they stuck the landing on that. So I think that's why. Uh, as far as what I want to see from Scream 6, I just want to see more meta fun, man. I want to see commentary on the horror genre, you know, as they're writing it, which right now isn't too different from, from what they've already wrote. But I think you can expand more on uh, requels or like, you know, franchise. You 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 could also you could always make fun of yourself for being in that line of old franchises that are coming back again. Halloween got Chucky. You've got Texas Chainsaw. Like all those movies are kind of reemerging again after they went away for a while, and it was all ghost and and uh, you know all that kind of horror, and then psychological horror or you know elevated horror, whatever. You you, you commented on that. Now you can kind of comment on on the genre you're in because. They're all kind of coming back. I think that would be something fun. As far as character direction, I don't making Sam a ghost face would be too obvious to me. Um, so I'm not quite sure what they're gonna do with that. But if they went that direction, it wouldn't I wouldn't be hurt by it, especially because again, if we're gonna get some more of this Billy Loomis over the shoulder thing, then I think that could be a a, a direction you go. I'm gonna disagree with one of our fine listeners. Uh, who mentioned earlier, I think this is the end of the Gale Sydney arc. And I know Brian kind of feels the same way. I think you have to bring them in a little, you can fade them out a little bit more each time. I'm fine with that, but I think they have a place within the film somewhere, somehow as a way to connect the dots. 
I think once you go away from them completely, you might as well restart from the very beginning or just a whole new thing away from all this. But I think as long as you keep that same plot line throughout, then I think that's probably your best bet by keeping them involved. So that's pretty much all. Now, what I think they're going to do, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even sure they know what, they know what they want to do yet. So that's a, you know, that makes it exciting for me. Brian, after you guys want to ask y'all a question. That's all. Okay. Um, all right. So what I this is what I want to see with Scream Six. And you know, look, I'm not a writer. Guy Busick and them are geniuses because I didn't know, like you said, where they were going to go with Scream Five, and they blew me away. So I'm sure whatever they write is going to be great. This is just what my stupid podcast mind came up with. So who loves Scream? So I, I obviously, like you said, I want to move on from Sid, Sydney and Gail. I like how in Scream 3, you know, with Sydney anyway, they didn't use her a ton. They focused a lot more on Gale and Dewey. Um, but then in Scream 4, we went back to another Sydney story like we wanted to tell. Let's let's move away from Sydney and Gale in this next one since we just kind of used them some. Let's use Kirby as the legacy character in Sydney's role. Um, maybe not even show Sydney at all. But let's have it end on a, maybe a cliffhanger of someone looking in Sydney and Mark's window. And that way we get our Sydney fix because let's face it, we all know that it probably needs to move on from Sydney and Gail. And yet, like Mike mentioned, if they aren't in it, you know, the uproar it's going to have. It's going to be crazy. Um, you know, a story centered around these people in the winter, may, maybe even at a ski lodge, because, you know, why not? We've not seen anything like that in the screen movies. Um, have Kirby involved, like I said, as the legacy character. And let's let's further Sam's internal struggles. Um, let's see, you know, things progress a little bit more. And hey, like we said in the interview, if you need guy, if you need some podcasters <laughs> for Scream <laughs> Six, we, we know some people. Y'all can kill me off if you want to in that movie. Uh, you want to rank yours real quick, Brian? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I kind of already did, but yeah. uh, it you know definitely Scream, uh, Scream Twenty Two and uh scream four and they are all like nines or above for me and then i think i ranked a scream three and scream two somewhere in the sixes i think and uh that so that's a big drop off but but definitely going to go scream two and then scream three but i completely agree with you mike i i do enjoy three more than i used to but and and two two just has this uh, a bigger and i talked about it in our scream review a bigger nostalgic pull for me seeing in the theater and all that stuff so Um, the, the ahead, only question I was going to ask was me and Austin Graham, former or former legendary blood donor. He was on our platform episode. You know, he was just, get, you know, giving me his feedback after he finally watched it. Uh, we were talking about, you know, if in the next one, if Gail or Sydney get killed off, I said, I feel like you got to have them at this point. Like, cause I feel like if you lose them, you lose your attachment to the franchise and, would fans even care about this, this franchise anymore if they're both gone? What do y'all feel about that? If if you knew in the next movie both were gone and it was completely new, how would that make you feel? I'd still watch it. Like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm fine with it moving on. I just don't think that you should kill Sydney. I mean, maybe you you could kill Gail, but I think I would be fine with them killing Gail. I think you don't have them at all in this one. Just have them doing something else then maybe you can bring them back in the seventh one. Maybe focus on somebody trying to kill their kids and then have Gail sacrifice herself then. You know, I don't know. But, I mean, I don't think that they have to be in every single one as long as they're 
still pulled with a legacy. I mean, you've got enough legacy now built with this and with Kirby, if you bring them back, that you don't need. I don't think you have to. You need them in it. Yeah, I would I, say. I don't know, honestly. I would say I would like to keep at least one of them in the films, uh, but I'm fine with them killing another one of them off. I I stand by the fact that if you're not going to make Sydney a ghost face, which I'm glad they didn't go that direction now after seeing this movie. Me too. Um, if you're not going to do that, then I think you could keep her around in some kind of small role. You know, it doesn't have to be a diminished role. It could be impactful, but just don't have her be the main character anymore. Just kind of come and have her be a supporting character here and there. And I would be okay with that. But what I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to have her come back know. every movie and do the same thing? Like, no, I think I you think have to find some out. different stuff for her to do. You have yeah, a, I don't, for her to do. Yeah, I don't or know. make her a ghost face. Fuck it. No, no, I don't think you should do that anymore. I'm at the point now where I feel like if you got rid of Sydney and Gail, it's like taking Jason or Michael away. I mean, nobody's going to like that kinda. shit no more. So I, I don't know. But this has been a great review. Uh, let's shout out our blood donors and announce our pick for our next theme month. And let's get out of here. It's been uh, over two hours. Uh, our camp level reoccurring are Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Mirza, Andrew Ferguson, Carrie Adams, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, and Sean Irwin. Our camp counselor reoccurring are Hunter Nelson, Karen, Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, and Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home podcast. And our legendary blood donors we still have film reviews to do for are Sean Irwin and Sarah Irwin. And our Dream Warrior blood donor is David Farley. Just want to say thank you all very much for your support, your financial contributions. It really helps us out. Uh, takes a big burden off us, like I said, and it, it really means a lot to us that you help support Absolutely. us financially in a, honestly in a not very easy time for our economy so i appreciate it uh next next month we're starting home invasion theme month and it's a uh, brian's pick go ahead and announce your pick real quick brian uh yeah well the first thing i want to do is i first thing i just want to say just real quick i want to plug it again we interviewed him we 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 all own the book now but if you're a fan of the scream yeah. franchise please Absolutely. go check out Patrick Maroney's It All Began With a Scream. He interviewed most of the cast and has some amazing stories. And he's an amazing guy. Go support him. Absolutely. Um, giveaway. As far as next. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Stay tuned. We're doing a giveaway. Hey, Two books whenever the digital or the uh, the Blu-ray releases. So like April 5th, I believe. April Another, 4th or 5th. Yeah. yeah. Another giveaway coming. So hey. stay tuned. But hey, don't wait for that. Go ahead and just go buy the book now, and you know, you know, we'll uh, we'll give it, we'll give it away to some some other people that uh that need it. You need to go read it before we give it away. <laughs> um. All right. So next week, I am picking 2013's uh, the year of the Florida State's last national title, but Woo-hoo! 2013's uh, Ethan Hawkled, Lena Headey, um, The Purge, and. Uh, I, I, I have I've got some thoughts on this one. Same. My only thoughts right now are go Knowles. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Uh, just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Really appreciate all support. Uh, y'all go check out our interview we just dropped with Guy Busick, one of the co-writers of Scream Twenty Two and Ready or Not. Uh, if you listen, Guy, I hope you didn't take what I said personal. It's it's not. I promise. Uh, had a one year interview at was DGOT Nico. It's at DGOT Nico. 
Hey, I like, I mean, we all text as we were interviewing guy, your interview was incredible. Uh, just listening to you talk was yeah. an honor and a privilege for me. Um, I'm just not the biggest scream franchise fan. I'm a more of a Saul guy. Right. That's just me. Uh, we got two guys on the show who love scream. So we all have different tastes that's and true. we're all cordial with each other. And that's kind of what this movie touched on is being cordial with each other with what we like. Uh, appreciate all man. the support. Y'all have a good one. Hey, by the way, no, uh, with Cloverfield, you guys are not cordial. Second Fuck of Cloverfield. all, in the, <laughs> uh, in the, in the words of Richie from this movie, I would like to end on, please get the fuck out. Sincerely get the fuck out. Thanks teens. And Nico still prefers the Babadook. Just want to remind everybody. Don't go out there.